You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right. It's time for a little A's Cast Live as Martin Gallegos is going to join us coming up here at 1.30. Katie Wu will be here uh, coming up at 2 o'clock as she covers the Cardinals for the Athletic. Roxy Bernstein at 2.30. The great Hall of Famer Tom Glavin will be here at 3 o'clock. And then one of our all-time favorites, Sarah Langs, will be here at 3.30. That is a jam-packed lineup. As we are all set, the World Series, can you imagine Major League Baseball? You got the Yankees, you got the Red Sox, you got the Dodgers, and you will have none of that for the World Series. You've got the Atlanta Braves against the Houston Astros. I think that if there's one thing that Major League Baseball is like, thank God, because we talked about it on Friday, you got to have a villain. Every story has to have a villain. And that's who the Houston Astros are. Now, is your hero the Atlanta Braves? Well, I don't know. if They they don't even move their own needle in their own market as Georgia football is bigger than the Atlanta Braves at this time of the year. But you got the Atlanta Braves in the World Series for the first time since 1999. Where were all of you in 1999. That's when they were on that historic streak of winning 14 straight divisions. They had the big three. They had Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones. They had a terrific ball club. But now our friends, who we openly rooted for, let's be honest, Cody, we said to Ron Washington, we said to the great Walt Weiss, we're rooting for you guys to go to the World Series. And I think it's going to be really compelling because you're looking at the hottest two teams out there. And that's what matters at this time of the year. How many people in the Bay Area said whoever wins Dodgers Giants that they now become the favorite? And yours truly said, I'm not buying it. The hottest teams win at this time of the year. And Cody, who's the hottest team in the National League? I think we know the answer. Uh the Braves, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna um give a pat on the back to Alex Antopoulos for what he did at the deadline. He replaced Ronald Acuna Jr. with not one, not two, not three, but four different outfielders in Jocktober, 
Eddie Rosario, who's just as hot as Jornad Alvarez is, who outhit the Red Sox the final two games of the series in the ALCS. He went out and got Jorge Soler, and they got Adam Duvall, who led the National League in RBI. Like, that's really good general managing by Alex Antopoulos and what he was able to do for the Braves. They remade their entire outfield. They lost their best starting pitcher to start the year, Mike Soroka, again to a torn Achilles. That's now twice that the Canadian starting pitcher has torn his Achilles. So they were out. They were without their ace again this year, and here they are in the World Series for the first time since 1999, when they won 103 games. And Walt Weiss was their starting shortstop for that team back in 1999. <laughs> so here we are, full circle. That was a long. <laughs> that was a long. How old were you in 1999? Uh, well, that World Series would have been before my birthday, so I would have been 10. I would have turned 11 a few months, a uh, few days after the World Series probably ended. Hell, I, I didn't get married till 2001. I was living in an apartment with buddies back in 1999. When you think how long ago that was. Do, do you want to hear this real quick? Here's this Braves roster in 1999. Eddie Perez was their catcher. Ryan Klesko, yeah. first baseman. Mariners legend Brett Boone, second baseman. Shortstop Walt Weiss, third baseman, some guy named Chipper Jones. Uh, le- uh, left fielder, uh, Gerald Williams, center fielder, Andrew Jones, right fielder, Brian Jordan on the bench, Javi Lopez, Ozzie Guillen on the bench. And then Ozzie. they had a, then here's our, then here's our starting, oh, D-Row on the uh, bench as well. Here's our starting, uh, here's some of their starting pitchers that they had back in 99. Uh, friend of the program and coming on at three o'clock, Tom Glavin, uh, Kevin Millwood, uh, my favorite pitcher of all time, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, friend of the program, and Odalis Perez. Uh, was also one. And then some of the relievers, John Rocker, who was their closer. Was Mark Wollers on that team? Uh, let's see. Or is he already gone by then? Uh, he was on the team. He pitched in only two games, though, and he had a 27 ERA. <laughs> I mean, this is what I said. I said, you don't want the hottest team in baseball. And that's who the Braves are. The Braves are red hot. Well, actually, the Cardinals would have been the hottest team if they won 17 in a row. But when you look at the Atlanta Braves, how they closed out the season, you don't want that. If this is a tournament and the hottest team is a team you don't want to play. And that wasn't the Giants and that wasn't the Dodgers. Now, obviously, Major League Baseball would have wanted it to be the Dodgers. But as Chris Chris Russo put it perfectly, the Mad Dog, for the Dodgers to get to the World Series in back-to-back years, they would have to win, what was it, nine do-or-die, go-home games in a row? It's just not going to happen. You, you, know, you know, a cat has only so many lives before it's like, bye-bye, you're done. And what Atlanta has done is they've just, they've steamrolled people. But now they're going up against a team that also is red hot in the Houston Astros. And that, you know, how you deal with that lineup, we've seen it over and over and over again. How good Houston, how how good they are. And as much as we can't stand them, at some point, you got to tip your cap and give credit to, to 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 what they've been able to do. They've been to three out of the last five World Series. 
They've been to the ALCS five straight years, and they just got a ton of talent. I mean, when you start looking at Altuve, I do believe he will be a Hall of Famer. You look at Bregman, you look at Brantley. I mean, you know, even though Brantley hadn't even played well. How crazy is that? He's their best all-around hitter, and he hasn't even played well. And Correa, Correa's earning himself some big money, man. I think there is absolutely no question somebody, if not the Houston, I, the way this thing is going, I don't know how Houston lets him walk out the door. And they're going to have to make him their highest paid player. Sorry, Altuve. Sorry, Bregman. We're going to have to give this guy a lot of money. He's younger than you are. He's dynamic. And he really is the toughness that is the Houston Astros. I, I don't like him, but I respect him. He's that guy that's willing to stand up. He's that guy that after all that, you know, the, the bombs have gone off, right? The fire's behind him, the smoke's behind him, and he's willing to stand up there and go, I don't care what you think, I'm here to win. Altuve hasn't been that guy. Bregman hasn't been that guy. In the in the whole mess that is the cheating scandal, the one guy that has refused to back down, and he's the one guy that's willing to stand up to anybody, it's Carlos Carrera. I don't know how that I, – I just – I don't, Cody, I don't see – I don't see there being any scenario that they allow him to walk out that door. He is – as great as the other players are, I don't see you allowing. He's your leader. He's your, he's the dude. You don't allow the dude to walk out the door. I just don't see that happening. Jim Crane's going to have to take that checkbook. He's a bazillionaire. He's worth billions of dollars. I think you just write the check. You you just you do what you got to do, but you don't allow that kid who literally is in the face of adversity, Carlos Correa stepped up as the leader of that team, a team that's going to the World Series three out of the last five years. Uh, what they what they put together, though, is truly remarkable. The three out of the last five years in the World Series, five straight uh, league championship series berths, uh, and it's all built around that core, and it's all built. And I, I don't hate to say it, but I a lot of people hate hearing it, they built that core around tanking, and that's going to change going forward, but they strategically tanked, and they built their core around losing on purpose, and that's why they were able to build this team the way they have. Now, they don't have the same pitching they had when they won the World Series, and even when they reached the World Series in 2019, they don't have Garrett Colt. They don't have Justin Verlander. They don't have Lance McCullers Jr. Okay, I'm going to challenge you on that. How many guys did they get for tanking? Uh, like a Correa. McCullers Jr. One, two. Bregman. You didn't get out Tuve because of tanking. Well, he was already on the team, yeah. Spr um, not Springer. Um, no. Well, Springer, uh, Springer actually, yeah, actually, you did get Springer. Um, no, he would have been there before Lunau. Springer was, let me see, Springer was drafted. Uh, you would have got Kyle Tucker. Let's see. Um, Man, why? How did they? They were already winning when they drafted Tucker. I think your theory is flawed. 
They got, and I think everybody's theory about the Astros is flawed because they got Kevin. Uh, what was his name? The guy that Appel, the guy from oh, Stanford who tanked. He Mark, was terrible. Mark Appel, yeah. Mark Appel. <laughs> I, I'm not buying the whole tanking thing that you keep you, you keep trying to sell. Tucker, t- when was Tucker drafted? Uh, let me pull him up. Springer was drafted in 2011. Okay, so that has nothing to do with Jeffrey Lunau. 2015. So Tucker that was, was 2015. So that was like the year after they finally had. I think that was the first year they had. A, they won. They what? They won the wild card game that year. They, they beat. They beat the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. So, so so Tucker has nothing to do with tanking. There's like literally, I guess two guys you can attribute to tanking. So they're two. Literally, they're two best players besides Altuve and Bregman. Are, Altuve has nothing to do with it. But, the, but Brantley the, has nothing to do with it. Tucker has nothing to do with it. Verlander had nothing to do with it. Grinky had nothing to do with it. Keuchel was already had in. nothing to do with it. He was there before. So three guys, if you include McCullers Jr. All right. Well, what's he done? Uh, well, yeah. He, I mean, he only helped them win a World Series in 2017. What's he done? So he, I'm not buying that theory. So, and you know what? And he was that, on the list is, of 12 guys to go six innings. Huh? <laughs> he was one of 12 guys to go six innings. <laughs> yeah, I'm not buying the whole tanking thing works. And by the way, so so it, let, let's just let's just play. I'll play your game. Okay. They they did not build this organization on tanking. They got a couple guys. They built it more on scouting and analytics. That's what they did. And player development. Them and the dot. I mean. Their player development it was unbelievable. Some of the guys, I mean, Framber Valdez now, and the guy, and they're starting pitching from last year that they developed. That they developed, they came up last year, like a Christian Javier. All those guys from the minor leagues that Blummer told us they had no idea who they even were. They're pitching in Single A that they had to look up, who are now on the major league roster helping them win. Like their player development, even with Jeffrey Luno gone now, that just shows you how well that they were able to develop these guys. Uh, the, when they won the World Series, who was starting on the mound for them? Uh, Verlander. Uh, not, not an Astros draft pick. Who else? Uh, Garrett Cole. Uh, also not an Astros draft pick. Uh, who else? Well, McCullers did. And they traded for more and they traded for, they signed Charlie Morton. Okay. Just, just, just want to check the guys who were on the mound when they're winning the world series in 2017, uh, they weren't draft picks. And I think that's it. And you know what? That's the way the game works, right? I mean, that's, I mean, when we look at the A's and you go around the diamond, I mean, the amount of guys that are drafted, we talk about the baseball draft all the time, but it's kind of like, who cares? Look at the rotation. That's not, not, these aren't the guy, the guys you draft for the most part are not going to be the guys that are on your, on your roster. I mean, it's great that we have the mats. But if you start going around, Ramon Laureano, Stephen Piscotti, Mark Canna, Elvis, Jed, I mean, you start going around the right. I mean, okay, I'll give you Sean Murphy. But for the most part, look at the rotation. Our rotation led Major League Baseball in innings pitched. Factor factor fiction. Whose rotation threw the most innings? Uh, The A's, that's a fact. And name me the guy we drafted that was in our rotation. Uh, there's one guy. That was not, well that that made a start, but not in, none of the guys in the rotation were drafted by the A's. They were you all guys. Cole Irvin wasn't drafted by the A's. No, uh, remember I brought this up. We brought this up with David Forrest. Every guy that made a start this year for the A's, with the exception of Dalton Jeffries, 
was acquired via a trade. Shamanai was it drafted by the A's? You're telling me Chris Bassett? Bassey wasn't acquired. Was Bassey? In, uh, who, who else are we forgetting? Uh, Mike Fires. Frankie Montas. Mike Fires. Jesus Lazardo. I mean, you start looking around the rotation, and you start looking, and that's and 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 probably the skill that is so important for front offices is how do you judge other people's talent? Because that that I mean, when you say that is a big key, because at that point, guys are now professionals. You know, it's one thing when you're scouting amateurs and they they're not getting paid yet, and you have no idea what they're going to be like, but. When you start looking into other people's organizations and looking for talent, which the A's have been very good at, you're now looking at guys who are pros and you're evaluating guys who are actually playing against, let's face it, the minor leagues is still the best players in the world. So you're now looking at guys who are competing as professionals. And it's one of the, it's one of the things the A's really do well is looking at talent in other people's organizations. I mean, I mean, this, the starting pitchers are the best example of that. And I remember when I brought that up with with David Force when we did it, when we asked him about it down on the field, because this was like right around the trade deadline or maybe after. Oh, no, it was when the Giants were down, because I mentioned to him about how every single guy in the Giants rotation, except for Logan Webb, was acquired via free agency by the Giants. And it brings back that whole idea of player development and how everyone goes, well, you need to build your team through the draft. The two teams in the Bay Area don't do that. Like if you, especially, the, I mean, if you look around both teams, the Giants are finding undervalued guys, just like the A's did 20 years ago with Moneyball. They're finding undervalued guys and, and putting them in their lineup and, and, they're, and they're winning games. It's the same thing the, that the A's did 20 years ago and they're still doing now. The Dodgers are doing that. You think they, they newsflash, the Dodgers did not draft Chris Taylor. They got him from the Mariners. The Astros didn't draft Jordan Alvarez. They got oh, him from the you're Dodgers. you the Dodgers didn't draft Mookie Betts? Yeah, I don't think, he, I don't think the Dodgers were... Now they're Max really- Ma- Ma- Max Muncy couldn't hit with the A's, and then became an All Star with the Dodgers. Justin Turner, out of Cal State Fullerton, was he drafted by the Dodgers? The guy had like five career home runs before he went to the Dodgers. Look at him now; he hits like twenty five plus every year. Like the they, the Dodgers are another team that are really good at finding other te- other teams' talent and making them better through their player development si- situations. The Astros have done that too. Jordan Alvarez is a guy. A lot of the relievers are guys like that, that the Astros on. They made Ryan Presley into a guy like that. Jordan Alvarez was a guy that no one even knew who he was. Who was telling us that story? Was it Sparksy? Yeah. Steve Sparks said that the Astros called. The Astros wanted Jordan Alvarez. The Dodgers thought they were asking about a pitcher. And they went, no, 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 no. We want the hitter. And they went, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, have this guy. Like he was an afterthought. And look where he is now. Think about that. The Dodgers are a pretty sharp organization. Let's be honest. They've got they they pour a lot of money into analytics. They've been very very successful, and they had a guy in their organization that essentially was an afterthought that they just handed over to the Astros, and he he now is a guy that you know is going to be a thorn on our side for years to come. Think about that. The Dodgers thought they wanted a pitcher like Alvarez. Who's the hitter Alvarez? They didn't even know their own guy. It's unbelievable, the story. Yeah, traded for Josh Fields, a hard-throwing reliever back in the day. Back, what was that, like five years ago when they acquired him. That's how they got him. Like that, You see those stories a lot. Like, okay, a, a, good, a really good example, 
was in the Braves series. Tyler Matzik was a guy that was a top prospect for the Colorado Rockies. I remember him back in the day because he was always one of those top 100 prospects with the Rockies, and you're like, oh, he's pitching at Coors Field. Is he really going to be that good? He was out of baseball a couple of years later because, you know, they're pitching for the Rockies, you know, you're either hit or miss. And then here he is with the Braves becoming a shutdown left-handed reliever, one of the best in baseball, and you, we saw what he did in game six against the Dodgers. It's an incredible story. Like, teams find other players from other systems and make them better. And it's just that's what these teams do that are in the playoffs continuously every single year. Now, there is one stat that I found interesting that uh, ESPN Radio had. I don't know if you saw this on the playbook before. Since the wild card era started in 1995, only seven times has the team to finish with the best overall record went on to win the World Series. Well, we, are, we know that this year the Giants had 107 wins, and they're not winning the World Series. Only seven times since 1995, the team to finish with the best overall record has won the World Series. And how many times is that the Yankees? Uh, Would have been 98. 98, yeah. 99. 2000, probably. I mean, best record. In, I mean, how many teams is the best record? Like, if we're talking 1995. Who won it? What the, the 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 Braves won in '95, right? Yes. Do they have the best record? Uh, let me look. MLB standings. Uh, what 2018? The 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 Red Sox had the best overall record. They won the World Series that year. What about the Phillies when they won? That would have been like 2000. 2000 I want to say eight. 2008, yeah. They beat the... The Yankees won in 09. Yeah, they beat the the uh, Devil Rays. The Rays, sorry. I can tell you this. All three times the Giants won, they didn't have the best record in baseball. Um, Atlanta did not have the best record in 1995. The The Cleveland Indians had the best record in 95. Uh, let's see. 96 was the Yankees. The Yankees... Uh, the Yankees in 96 didn't have the best record. The Indians did again. <laughs> I tell you, the Marlins didn't have the best record in 97. Now they're a wild card team. Uh, 99, when the Braves went to the World Series and lost to the Yankees, the Yankees had 98 wins. The Braves had 103, so nope, he wasn't the Yankees that year. What year, 98? 99. Yeah, ni- look at 98. That's the Yankees. Oh, no, it was, definitely, it was definitely the Yankees because they had 114 wins that year. Yeah, they, 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 I guarantee you they that year. 2000, the Yankees won 87 games. They did, yeah, they didn't have the highest. The highest one total that year was the Giants with 97. D-backs in 01. The D-backs won 92 games that year. Nope, they didn't have the highest. It was actually the Yankees that year. 02 was, 02 was the first time we saw two wild card teams. That would be the Angels and the Giants. Yeah, so that's, that's out. And then 03 would have been, what, the Marlins again? Yeah, over the Yankees, so... The they Yankees. were a wild card team. Yeah, so they're that one's out. Oh four was the Red Sox, and they were a they were a wild card team too. So there, that one's out. Greatest stolen base in the history of the game. Ninety or two thousand five was the uh, Chai Sox. Yeah, they didn't have the best record. The Cardinals actually did. Two thousand six was the Cardinals, and the Cardinals record that year, they were. 83, 80, they had 83 wins, so they didn't have That's the best record. Right. They weren't a very good team, but Tony La Russa. Uh, 07, the best record in baseball belonged to the Boston Red Sox, and the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. 08 was the Phillies. Let's see, this is the one you brought up. The Phillies that year 
won 92 games. Nope, they didn't have the best record. Actually, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim had the best record. That was K-Rod's 62 save season. Yankees in 09 had 103 wins. They had the best record. So, this is interesting now. So, yeah, none of the Giants won because they didn't have the best record. Now the Giants. So, who won in 11? Cardinals. Cardinals had Cardinals were a wild card team, so it wasn't them. Thirteen you was have to go to thirteen, which was Boston. Boston that year won ninety seven games. They tied for the best record. They had ninety seven wins with uh, St. Louis. So I guess that that counts. So now Boston Boston's on it twice now. So fifteen. Fourteen. Fourteen was fourteen's the Giants. So they didn't have yeah, the best record. Fifteen would fifteen was the Royals. And the Royals finished with 95 wins, was not the highest. The Cardinals won 100. 16 was the Cubs. I think the Cubs actually had the best record that year. The Cubs had the best record that year, so that's – I think we're at four now. Uh, 17 was Houston. I think Houston had the best record. No, they didn't. Cleveland did. No, actually, L.A. did, so not that one. Next year was the Red Sox. Red Sox won – 108. So yeah, they they won. They were that. So the Boston's on it three times. Wasn't the Nationals, and the I think the Dodgers last year because they won the most games. In the 60 game schedule, <laughs> what they win like 30 something games. 43, 43 and 43. 17. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, and, and and doesn't that tell you everything you need to know to where last year. The Dodgers basically sat in Arlington for a couple weeks and truly had home field advantage. And then now you don't have the home field advantage. And the Braves are doing closeout games, not in Arlington, but at home. And the advantage of being at home. And they got it done. You know, would the Braves have gone to the World Series last year if they were not playing in Arlington and they got to play at home? And they had closeout games at home. It, 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 you know, and uh, once again, I'm not taking anything away. I'm not taking anything away from the Dodgers and their championship last year. I think we all realized that this was going to be one of the toughest championships ever to win. What, what these guys had to do going through the bubble, a pandemic, people are dying around you. I will never take anything away from the Dodgers, what they did last year. And I know some people have, have, have done that. Right. Some people have gone, oh, well, that champion. No. Whoever was standing at the end of the day last year is going to be a great champion. Because you went through what no one has ever gone through before. You had a deadly pandemic all around you. I mean, even Justin Turner tested positive in the end. I mean, you don't know who you can trust. You don't know where you can go. Um and you're the Los Angeles Dodgers playing in Arlington, Texas. I I, I will still give them all because I would have to, you know, same thing. If the A's would end up winning it, we would be saying the same thing. You got to be fair. You got to be honest. But now that we're back to, to more normal, home field advantage plays. You know, making a team get on a jet and fly all the way to Georgia and now have to play in Atlanta it's it's tough. It's tough playing on the road. People just don't understand that. Winning on the road is not easy. 
I don't care what sport it is. It's not. When you got to get on a plane and you got to go to the hotel and you got to do all that, it's not easy to win on the road. Hey, by the way, how the Raiders do yesterday, Cody? Uh, it was a big win. Big win for the Raiders. Was the final 33-22, something like that. I mean, I have a I have a highlight from the game. Do you want to hear it? Well, you won't be able to hear it, but everyone else can hear it. Here it is. Derek Carr, Derek Carr, big touchdown to not Darren Waller, but Foster Moreau. Wanted to get these receivers over the top of his defense. Nice play of the drive on second down. Carr fires. Moreau. Touchdown. What a catch. Foster Moreau looked really good. That was Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma on the call from Fox. How'd your Niners do yesterday on Sunday Night Football? Uh, not that great in the uh, in the weather. Uh, here's a here's a play from the game. Jimmy Garoppolo's second interception that, that sealed the deal for the Indianapolis Colts. Second down and five for the 49ers at the 43. Whoops! And that's thrown into a bunch of white shirts and intercepted at the 15-yard line. Kyrie Willis comes away with it. One just slipped out of his hands. It just squirts right out of the top of his hands. It, it had no chance whatsoever. That's uh, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth from Levi Stadium, the Niners, uh, with a laugher, lost 30-18 to the Indianapolis Colts. Kyle Shanahan, uh, not looking good this right now. I saw a stat. Since Steve Mariucci was fired in 2002, the 49ers, the 49ers have had four winning seasons. Three of them were with Jim Harbaugh. That's not good. <laughs> you know what's crazy about that game last night? I'm looking at it now. How far do you think I live from Levi Stadium? Uh, you're a little bit farther away than I am, so I don't know, seven miles. I'm looking at it right now. I am 8.3 miles from Levi Stadium. That's a good guess. Okay. I'm basically eight miles from Levi Stadium, and not a drop. Not not raining at all at my house, and it's pouring there. <laughs> I was like, I was like, it's pouring rain. I'm like, are you serious? I'm eight miles from Levi Stadium, and not a drop at my house. Martin Gallegos joins us here on A's Cast Live. How you doing, my man? What's up, Tony? Good to see you. Uh, just you know, relaxing. I uh, just got back from some ALCS coverage, and uh, you know, just kind of taking a break here before the World Series. I guess just watch that you know, from home, but um, doing good, man. You know, when you, when, when you, you know, we know where you're covering that and it's just like I, I, Boston had a good run, but they just, did you just get the sense at some point they don't have the talent the Astros have? Yeah. I mean, I think going into it, uh, I expected kind of the Astros to get it rolling and kind of steamroll them. But then, you know, after Boston had those crazy, that crazy stretch there with the grand slams and all that, you kind of got the feeling that, with the series going back to Boston, to Fenway, you know, the, the fans are crazy over there. You thought maybe Boston can pull it off. Um, but I think in the end, the Astros just showed that their offense is just so high powered. I mean, this is, I think this is going to go down as one of the, you know, when you, you know, look back, you know, this is one of the best offenses, you know, ever put together. I mean, there's just so much firepower there. It's scary to navigate through that lineup. It's one guy, you get one guy out, the next guy comes up and, and is able to, you know, do some damage. So, yeah, I think it all played out in the end the way I saw it. You know, Houston just being too much for them. You know, we were talking about it earlier today on the show about Carlos Correa and how, you know, with, with the firestorm that has been around the Houston Astros, there was one guy that stood up and said, you know what, I don't care, and I'm coming to play. I'm a baller, and I, I, 
I, I'm not worried what any of you think. And he really has become the leader of that team. I just, I, I, I don't know. Everybody talks about free agency. Uh, you tell me, you, you were around it. I just don't see how they're going to allow that, allow that guy to walk out the door. Well, yeah, it definitely would be a bad look. But, I mean, the thing is, he's he's going to be in such high demand. I mean, you know, the, the between the season that he had and the regular season, I mean, he's going to probably be top five MVP. And then the, the postseason, he's been going off, too. I know the last couple games he wasn't getting as much. But, um, you know, I have a feeling he's going to have a pretty big series here in the World Series, too. Um, but, I mean, there's going to be so much. I mean, I know the Yankees are probably going to be a team high on them, and we all know the, the money that they have to spend. And, you know, based on what, the Astros, what I've heard from the Astros, it seems like they're not really – that keen on giving anybody, you know, a, a long-term deal in terms of years, they might be willing to match in terms of, you know, salary on, on a lower deal. But, you know, if you're, if, if he's looking for like a six, seven year deal somewhere, I don't know if Houston's going to be willing to offer that to him. So, I mean, if the, if the Yankees or somebody else comes in with a, with a longer term deal, we might see him leave. And, and obviously that would be a big blow for them and, and kind of open up the AL West a little bit more, because I think he's a huge part of what they do. I mean, I know they still have talent all around, but, like you said, he is the team leader on here, and it's it's evident, you know, based on how his teammates talk about him and, and his coaches and everything, he truly is kind of the, the heart and soul of that team there. And if he were to leave, I think, you know, it's, it's a tough – it's kind of like with Marcus Simeon with the A's. It's kind of tough to replace a guy like that, not just on the field, but, you know, in the clubhouse as well. Yeah, as an A's guy, I'd love to see him leave, and I'd, I'd love <laughs> to see him go to the National League. <laughs> I mean, just get him out of here. I don't want to deal with that guy anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you're certainly right from from an AL West perspective. I'm, I'm sure every team would love to see him leave the division. I mean, even if just out of the division, you've know, got to play him so many times a year. I mean, it, it's going to be, I think, awfully awfully nice for a lot of other teams surrounding them. You know, you just did a breakdown of the, the roster for MLB.com. It's a great read. Um, are, are you, do you really think there's going to be any surprises this offseason with the A's or pretty much what we saw from a roster standpoint last year will be pretty much what we'll see in 2022. I mean, pretty much. I mean, you look at the free agents that are, that are, you know, impending and um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how many guys that they're going to go after to try to resign. I mean, I look at Mark Canna as a guy who maybe, you know, you can try to get back on a, you know, somewhat of a hometown deal. You know, I, I know he loves playing here and I know that he would love to come back. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the interest – I'm sure there's going to be teams interested in him. I mean, he's a, he's a versatile guy and, you know, the on-base percentage and all that, he's, he's definitely a valuable piece. So I think the A's may have some competition there for him. But I look at him as a guy who, you know, maybe comes back, maybe not. Um, but obviously, I mean, the guys that got the deadline, Marte, Gomes, and, and Harrison, it's tough to see any of those guys returning. I mean, those guys performed so well that, you know, they're probably going to go elsewhere. You know, in, in Gomes' situation, he's probably going to go somewhere where he can get more playing time. Um, Mark Tay made himself obviously a whole bunch of money. Harrison, I think, made himself you know a lot of money as well too. Um, and then you look at the bullpen. I mean, I think if there's one guy that they would maybe try to bring back, it's probably Yusmer Petit. I mean, you know, he's obviously been the favorite here for a long time of Bob Melvin's and a, and a trusted option. Um, but you know, the rest of the guys on on the free agent list, I think you probably see them walk as well. So um, you know, there's going to be some holes. There's going to be some holes that they're going to have to address. Um, you know, the rotation seems like it could be, it could be pretty still well intact. Um, and, you know, on, on the position side, obviously the outfield, if Canna leaves, you got to, you know, see if you can feel that from within. Seth Brown obviously jumps out as a, you know, spot to kind of take over in a full-time role next year. He did really well last, this last season as a, you know, kind of a part-time role. Um, but, yeah, you know, not, not any huge surprises that I'm expecting as, as of this point. 
Yeah, and, and the one that's going to be really interesting, and I, I I feel bad for him, is Starling Marte. I mean, this is like, you know, the, the last two years are truly the worst two years maybe in our lifetime to be a free agent. Obviously, COVID last year with the shortened season. This year, still dealing with COVID, still dealing with a lack of attendance, and now you're dealing with a CBA that's up. And a lot of people think there's not going to be really any deals that happen before the CBA is done. I just, and Starling, just, just the way he played, I appreciated the way he played for us and to watch him. I just, don't you feel bad? Like this is, this is not a great time to be a free agent. No, it's not. It's not, but, but he, he might be one of the guys to maybe, you know, I think the true, you know, the guys who are considered, you know, top tier free agents, I still think, you know, they won't have too much of a hard time. I think it's going to be more like kind of the middling guys uh you know who are gonna really feel the impact of that i mean it's gonna be tough for those guys because usually they have a you know guaranteed you know locked up deal pretty early on in in, in the off season and and those guys might you know depending on i mean we don't even know what's gonna happen you know the cba and all that i mean that's still all up in the air but assuming they reach a deal or whatever you know you could be looking at you know going to spring training without a contract but you know i think starling has you know kind of developed you know to the point where he's he looked at it as a top tier guy. I mean, he might not get a long term deal in terms of years, but he's going to get paid a lot of money by somebody. And I think he's definitely going to be valued around the league. So, um, you know, it, it is obviously not ideal as opposed to if he did this like a couple of years ago, then I mean, it'd be a no brainer. But I still think he's he's going to be pretty, you know, secured in terms of, you know, getting plenty of, uh, you know, interest from other teams and, and being able to kind of pick out, you know, where he wants to play. I, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be still you know, no, sh- no shortage of uh, offers out there for him on the table. You know, the, the, the thing about this CBA, which I find fascinating, is the fact that the owners have thrown out the floor. Now, we always know that everybody wants a ceiling. Everybody wants some type of almost like a salary cap, and baseball has that with their different versions of the luxury tax. But the fact that the owners threw out having a floor you don't throw that out and then take it back. So I know that that is going to be there at some point. I, I don't know if it's the first year, second year, third year, whatever it is, major league baseball teams are going to have to spend X amount of money there, or they're going to get penalized. And that makes me think if the A's all of a sudden are told, Hey, you have to spend at least a hundred million. Why not try and bring, bring Starling back? If the floor is introduced, do you think there's a chance Marte stays with the A's? Yeah, I mean, if that if that you know became you know implemented right away, I mean, why not? I mean, they, they got to get to that that number. I know with the guys going through arbitration, the salary is going to go up automatically. But um, yeah, I mean, if 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 the floor was implemented from day one, then yeah, I think, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, if there, if you were to prioritize, you know, in terms of free agents who you would want to bring back, and all of a sudden Marte became you know actually a realistic option, that's got to be number one by far. I mean, you saw what he did for this team. Um, he just impacted them so heavily. Um, yeah, if, if that was implemented, yeah. But I mean, this thing is so far from being, you know, you know, played out. I mean, it, I mean, we got a long way to go. But um, if that was the case, you know, yes, for sure. Stalin Marte, I think they would definitely want to bring him back for sure. And, and you know what? I think he would want to come back. Honestly, I mean, I know Oakland's not, you know, obviously viewed as a, you know, destination or free agents want to sign. But um, I think he truly le- liked playing with this group of guys. I think he he enjoyed being here and kind of the low key vibe here, you know, not not really being in you know in a you know market where 
you know, all the media's hounding him all the time. I think he kind of felt the the kind of the family atmosphere with this team and with Bob Melvin. And I think if, if, you know, the A's were serious about bringing him back, I think he would be open to the idea. I don't know. If, I don't know if it'd be his number one choice, but I think he'd definitely consider it. Well, and I think, you know, as much as this season ended on a downer, I think you got to, you know, you look around baseball, there's only so many teams that actually have a chance. And wouldn't you say the A's are still one of those teams heading into 2022 that they're going to have a chance to go to the postseason? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, they still have a, you know, a solid core in place. And I mean, if you added a guy like Marte, I mean, he'd be the piece that would help, you know, propel them potentially. Um, you know, I, I, I still think, you know, this, like I said, this team definitely has a chance. Um, you know, they kind of, you know, fell apart there at the last month of the season, but I mean, they were in contention and even in, even still in the race for the wild card until the last, you know, few days until they were officially eliminated. I know it's kind of a long shot by the last week of the season, but um, I mean, this season was so weird too. I mean, you look at the 60 game season and you think that was weird, but also this season was kind of weird too for, for teams with especially young pitchers. I mean, you saw, you know, every team kind of deal with pitchers kind of fall apart, run out of gas and you even saw it into the postseason. guys just weren't consistent. I think next year, you know, this, this team has really good pitching. The A's have really good young pitching. I think a lot of them just kind of fell into that rut where, you know, they were overworked and, and kind of weren't used to this workload anymore. I think next year you kind of see a little bit more of a return to, to normalcy in terms of them being able to handle a full workload of, of pitching. Um, you know, I'm sure obviously, you know, the bullpen is something that they'll try to address. They're going to have to address, I mean, because they got so many guys leaving, but um, in terms of starting rotation, I mean, you got to have a start, a good starting rotation to get through a, a regular season with a chance to make the playoffs. You got to have, you know, five pretty good starters. And I think the A's will have that. I think they had that last year. It's just a couple of guys ran out of gas towards the end, but I think you'll see them start to kind of gain a little bit more uh, uh, durability coming into next season for sure. You know, Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, these guys floating that whole Mets and Billy Bean thing out there. As I said on this show, it's not happening, okay? It's not going to happen. But you were back east. Were you hearing anything? And then, of course, I think when you were back there is when Billy Bean took his name out of the conversation. What were you hearing when you are on the East Coast? Yeah, no, I got out there, and uh, people were kind of asking me, are you watching, are you, you know, do you have to keep a close eye on the whole Billy Bean situation? But, I mean, I told him. I don't think it's I don't think it's that realistic of a possibility. I mean, I know that the rumors were out there and, and they were kind of kind of, you know, they were it seemed like they were trying to push it to gain a little bit more momentum. But I never really bought into it. And then talking to Billy after the season as well, you really got the vibe that he wasn't it wasn't something that really interested him. Um, I mean, he's got such a good spot, uh, situation here. I mean, why go to a place, especially in, in New York? I mean, it seems like that organization has just gotten even, even more crazy since, you know, the new ownership took over. And why, you know, leave a good spot here where you've got you got part of ownership already and, you know, you're – I mean, you can basically stay here as long as you want. I mean, you, you don't, you're, you don't got to worry about, you know, getting fired over here. I mean, you, you're, you're constantly winning, uh, you know, building teams that nobody expects to go anywhere into contenders. You know, I, it just – to me, it, it never made any sense to me. I know – you know, it's New York and whatever, but, um, you know, Billy's, you know, been around here for so long that I think, you know, unless it's like ideal, ideal for him, I, I don't, I don't see him ever leaving. I mean, he's, he's got free reign here until he decides he just doesn't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I said that. And I, you know, we had Billy on the program for about 40 something minutes and I've known Billy since the nineties. And Billy has always said, I want to be able to go to Starbucks, get my coffee, <laughs> hang out. And no one messes with me. 
There's no way he's going. I, I can see Billy at some point moving on from the organization from a standpoint, if he wants to run soccer teams or whatever politics or what I, I don't see Billy going to another team to do the exact same job. Like, why would you, why would you do that? And why would you go like, I can't imagine Billy going to someplace where he's going to be micromanaged by a billionaire owner. That's not going to happen. No, exactly. I mean, especially, like I said, in New York, I mean, that's, he would probably be the subject of tweets like every day, you know, talk, having to talk to media, you know, after every loss and talking about contracts with guys, you know, here in Oakland, we talked to him, you know, maybe once a month or something. We kind of, as David Force kind of handle all the day-to-day stuff, um, you know, we're able to get Billy whenever we need to, but over there, it'd be a, definitely a lot more demanding. And like you said, you, you wouldn't be able to walk down the street and not, not immediately kind of be harassed by people, you know, asking about the team and stuff. Whereas here, you know, it can keep it a lot more low key. And I think he enjoys it like that. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it fits him really well, especially his personality kind of laid back with this, with this team. I mean, it's just a perfect match for him. Like you said, I, the only way I see him ever leaving is, you know, like the soccer venture or something like that. Like we heard, you know, a couple of years back where, where it was possible that he might leave the organization. I think that was a, a little bit more of a uh, substantiated rumor. You know, I think we took that one a little bit more seriously, whereas, you know, we know this has kind of been something that he's been interested in in the past. And, you know, maybe he has something coming together where it's time for him to leave the organization. But, in terms of leaving for another team, you know, within baseball, I, I just, it's hard for me to, to see it happening at, at this point in his career, maybe, you know, a few years back and maybe, you know, a decade ago, but not now. Now I think he's just at the point where it's just, you know, when, when he, when he's done with the A's, he's just done with baseball. I think. You know, going into this off season now, obviously we're still, still in the world series and we got to get through that, but you know, we've talked about Correa potentially leaving changes with the Astros Angels still have no pitching. I, I mean, who knows what they're going to do with their pitching staff. Uh, Rangers are bad. Uh, it'll, you know, will the, will, will the Mariners be as good as they were next year as they were this year? Do they overachieve? Just, you know, going into the offseason, how do you see the American League West? Yeah, well, I think, you know, even if Correa leaves, obviously the Astros still, I, I mean, I still look at them as probably – you know, they should be considered the favorite. They are the division champs. Um, and they they seem to always find a way to kind of fill in for for guys who leave, especially pitching-wise. I mean, I thought going into this year, I thought this was the year the Astros kind of decline and the A's take over in the division. And it started out that way a little bit, but then the Astros caught heat again and they just got good again. Um, and, they, you know, guys like Luis Garcia, Framber Valdez kind of stepped up in the rotation. I thought the rotation was going to take a big hit, especially not having Verlander anymore, but seemed like it was anything but so until they officially you know kind of fall off I got to give them the edge there as the number one team Um, but I mean I look at the the A's and Mariners and they're kind of next up in line and I think the Mariners you know are a team on the rise they've got a really good farm system with you know even more guys who are are probably going to come up next year and be able to contribute and um, they probably will make some moves in free agency as well they do have some free agents leaving guys like Kyle Seager but I'm sure they're going to try to you know they've got you know a team that's you know kind of willing to spend money and, and are probably going to look after somebody to kind of replace them. Um, so that'll be an interesting team to watch. But, I mean, the A's aren't too far off from there. I mean, losing 13 in a row to a team like the A's to the Mariners, that doesn't happen every year. I mean, that's just insane. I, I still am mind-boggled by how that even happened this year. But I think, you know, usually within the division, teams are a little bit more competitive. I think you'll see the A's be a little bit more competitive with Seattle than they were uh, this past season. So I think the A's and, and Mariners could kind of be battling for those 
for that spot there, you know, to kind of try to challenge the, the Astros. Um, and then obviously you look at the Angels. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to kind of take the Angels serious just because, I mean, that, their pitching is always a mess. And then until they prove otherwise, I think their pitching is always going to be a mess. It doesn't matter how many, how many bats they add. I mean, I'm, I've already seen rumors about them, you know, possibly adding another bat this year, um, like a, maybe even being in, you know, contention for like Carlos Correa or, or Corey Seager, where, you know, you would think they would go after, you know, a big name pitcher to kind of have a true ace. But, you know, I don't know about that. And the Rangers are still, obviously, I think a couple years away. They're still, you know, barely starting to rebuild. So I think they'll kind of be at the bottom there as well. So, I mean, the A's and Mariners kind of competing. I think one of those teams could definitely be a wild card or, you know, if they add some pieces, maybe even challenge the Astros. But I think it's kind of a three-team three team deal here, at least from where it stands right now. So uh, let's end on this. Are you doing anything for the World Series? Or are you now into off-season mode? Uh, kind of an off-season mode. I mean, I'll still be writing. I'll obviously be writing here and there. You know, I'll be writing some some stuff about once or twice a week, just A stuff, you know, taking some, you know, inboxes or just doing kind of views for next season. But, you know, get a little bit of time to relax here. So it's nice. So I, I'm assuming you're planning this big feature uh, to promote A's Cast and A's Cast Live, right, on MLB.com? Oh yeah, big big profile on County and and Cody coming soon. Be ready for it. <laughs> All right, buddy, you be well. We'll be in touch. All right, Tony. Good talking to you. See you later. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com. Did you really just so just to let you guys know, Cody and I can see each other. Did you just say Trevor's story to the Angels? Are uh, you serious? I already saw an article from uh, our friend Mark Feinsand from MLB.com. He has. He linked Trevor's story as the guy that could be going to the Angels. You're telling me that the Angels gonna are going to pitch. You're telling me the Angels are going to add another bat and who's pitching oh for them? Oh my God! You're you're going to throw out Alex Cobb on opening day? Oh my God! Because Otani's going to get uh, Otani's going to be the opening day starter, but he's going to get pushed back because he got hit by a foul pitch in batting practice. Oh yeah, Otani opening day starter, but we're going to actually he's not going to pitch opening day. It will be two weeks till we see him. I, 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 okay, go ahead. Sign another bat. Great. Like the angels, like, like what, what, how do you have all that money and you don't have no, but you have no pitching. You have no pitching. I mean, none. Well, I mean, they did draft 20 pitchers this year in the draft, 20 rounds, 20 pitchers. We'll see if they hit on any of them. Yeah, but that's down the road. I know. What are you going to do next year? You, you need Mike Trotsman to play. Look, I, the best tweet I saw. I can't remember if I brought this up to you. Is Trout done? Well, he's not done yet. But best tweet I saw on Friday. I can't. I don't can't remember if I, I think I brought it up to my buddies that I went to the Cal game with. If you're an Angels fan, the Angels have to be so upset that my, that Albert Pujols has played more playoff games in a Dodgers uniform under his Angels contract than he did as an Angel. <laughs> that seriously is one of the greatest. <laughs> you you told me that, okay, right? Yeah, okay. Then I brought it up on Friday. I couldn't remember if I brought <laughs> it up so or not. Hilarious. That's Albert so good. Albert played more playoff games as a Dodger than as an Angel. <laughs> and the Angels are still paying him. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so good. You know That is so good. I was waiting till we came on. You know, there's two things that happened over this weekend. And, and by the way, the fact that Albert Pools is not done. No. And, and the fact that you're going to have all these National League teams have to start searching for a DH, I could see somebody being like, you know what? Why not? 
You sign him for, for nothing. He doesn't need the money. He's made, hell, $300 million in his career. Albert Pujols loves to play baseball. He's not done yet. Would you be shocked? I don't know if I told you this or somebody else. Would you be shocked if the A's signed Albert Pujols? Seeing that I've seen Kendry's Morales, uh, Mike Piazza. Totally. Uh, like, think about think about the big hurt. You think about, like, Nomar. Would you, would you, they brought, they brought back Chris Davis, for God's sakes. That guy can't hit a lick. Are, are you, I mean, if Albert Pujols would sign for like $2 million, you don't, you don't, I mean, I could totally see him as an Oakland A. Now, the A's need left handed bats. Let's be honest, they're right handed heavy. But if you could get Albert Pujols on dirt cheap, I could totally see him being being an Oakland A. He, I mean, just having his presence in the clubhouse would be would be awesome. Um, Can you imagine him walking through that door? How cool that would be! Like to have, you know, for for us, Ace Cast Live, bringing out Albert Pujols to the to our set during the season. How cool that would be! Uh, and what that would be? I mean, you know, no offense, Matt Chapman, but we got a new leader in the clubhouse. Well, one, it'd be awesome because you're you're actually talking to a like a first ballot like lock Hall of Famer. Like, there's no question about it. Um, and then we could set. You could do so many things. That, like the first thing that popped in my head is if that ever happened, you could bring him on. And then when the White Sox came to town, have him and Tony on at the same time. Oh, you're talking God. about Cardinals royalty here, and I mean, who gets a bigger standing ovation in in St. Louis, him or Tony? Uh, I'm sure I'm sure they're probably still clapping in St. Louis right now for Albert. Um, but that'd be a really good. I mean, I he's I, gonna play. I I guarantee you, he's gonna play somewhere. Oh no, he definitely is. I don't. Th- I don't think he's done yet. I agree with you on that. And what are these National League teams gonna do? Like, you you got these organizations that have not dealt with the DH other than interleague play. And you do. And and let's face it, every year you're not gonna have your prototypical DH. The DH is something you can utilize for days off. Um, you got to find a guy who embraces it, who wants to do it. That's always something that I don't think people really understand, that most players don't like it. They want to play in the field. So to be able to have a guy like, you know, Mark Canna said it on the national broadcast, I love DH and all I got to do is hit. Not everybody's like that. So you got to find really, you know, unless you have, like, let, let's just throw a name out there. Unless you have, like, a big poppy, you know, or Edgar Martinez where you just go, this guy's our DH. He's dh and every year. This is how it works. But not everybody has that guy. It's an interesting position to try and fill uh, for American League teams. There's not, there's not enough of those guys to go, to go around for American League teams. Now you're telling me every National League team's going to have to have one? There's yeah. not enough of those guys to go around. I think year one of this new CBA where everybody has the DH, it's going to be fun to watch to see how everybody deals with it. Because like I said, there's not enough big poppies or Edgar Martinez is out there that, 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 that you can just plug in every day. No, I agree, and I'm actually looking at the Silver Sluggers were just announced, and congratulations, Matt Olson's a finalist for the 2021 Silver Slugger Award at first base. Behind 
along with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Yuli Goriel, the batting champion in the American League. And I'm looking at the DHs in the American League, and it's Shohei Otani, of course, Jordan Alvarez, Giancarlo Stanton, Nelson Cruz, and for some reason, I don't understand why, Joey Gallo is listed as a DH. And he, he's a gold glove outfielder. Why is he listed as a DH? Yeah, how many games did he play in the field versus he DH'd, DH? He DH'd 14 games this year. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so he's on there as a – well, he's not going to get the award. It's going to go to Otani, let's be, let's be honest. But still, I mean, to put him on there is just a bit um, perplexing, the lack of a better term. But real quick before we get to Katie Wu, who covers the Cardinals for the Athletic, because uh, they hired a new manager. That's one of the two things that really blew my mind this weekend. They hired a manager that's three years – essentially two years older than I am because I'll be 33 next Monday. They hired a manager that's essentially two years older than I am, and he's going to be leading a team that has eight players that are older than him on the roster, <laughs> uh, which is good for him. I mean, that's a great job to have. They drafted him out of college, or and he was a minor league manager, and he was like 26. This is Ollie uh, Marmel is the new manager. He was the bench coach of the past two years under Mike Schilt. And – I don't know what your guy A.J. Preller is doing in San Diego, but apparently they're hiring a pitching coach, which is a great move. They don't have a manager. They have a manager. So why are you hiring a pitching coach without a manager? No. It doesn't make sense. But then you go, well, we fired Larry Rothschild. That was the manager's decision. Was it his decision? Uh, sometimes you look, you look around, you think these guys are smarter than you are, and then you look at their decisions and you realize, yeah, maybe not. Coming up next, we're heading to St. Louis right here on A's Cast Live. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course, one of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from the East Bay. Here's Chris Townsend. Can you imagine driving down Hagenberger and you're heading to the airport and you're sitting there at the stoplight and Dennis Eckersley's running by? <laughs> In coach's shorts. In coach's shorts. Now, Eck, I did ask Eck, the Hall of Famer, recently here on A's Cast Live. Did he get, is he rolling shirtless? He said no. 
But can you imagine just, hey, is that Dennis Eckersley? Running down Hagenberger? It's a sight to see, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, Katie's going to join us here coming up here in moments. And what is going on in St. Louis? Katie, welcome to A's Cast Live. Chris Stans with the A's. How are you? Hey, Chris, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Well, I got to tell you, Cardinals making some interesting moves. I mean, you got a manager that all he does is win, and now you're hiring a young guy. Just what has it been like in Cardinal world? It has been an absolute whirlwind. Uh, I, You know, everyone has been telling me, enjoy the off season, enjoy some time <laughs> off. And I'm wondering if that's actually going to happen this year, because it does not feel like it will. Well, it's just it, it, it really is shocking when you have that kind of success and you move on from a manager that's given you so much. Uh, just how shocked were you that, that they're making the move? I was completely stunned. Uh, you know, this was a, a move that I don't think anybody was expecting from players to people within the organization to the industry. You know, it seems after the season, after the Cardinals lost in the wild card game, that Mike Schilt was still the guy that was going to be at the helm, that was their leader. He had all the respect in the clubhouse, had all the respect of Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, the core guys. And and he seemed to be the guy that was going to take them forward. I mean, three postseason appearances in his uh, three full-time managerial year or seasons, uh, it just kind of seemed like that was a secure place for Schilt. And very clearly, I mean, today on a press conference today, John Mazalock, the president of baseball operations, even admitted on their flight back to St. Louis, he had no inclination of firing Schilt. You know, this was the, the, not on their radar at all. Clearly, something went down within the week between the wild card loss and Schilt firing where things changed. But yeah, it was completely sudden and shocking to almost everybody involved. Yeah, you think about winning 17 in a row, you think about getting in the postseason. I mean, uh, you know, you ran up against the Dodgers who are one of the best teams in baseball, and there's, you know, nothing to be ashamed of losing in a wild card game. God knows the A's. We've done it uh, three times in, in recent <laughs> memory, well, so we know all about that. But, you know, when they start talking about differences and how they view the team, and what do you make of that when you hear an executive and a manager, they don't want to talk about it, and they don't want to tell you exactly what it is, but they're both going to say, hey, listen, we have a, a philosophy difference. What, what did you guys make of that in St. Louis? You know, the Cardinals are, are historically a very internal organization. Not a lot leaks out uh, of their philosophies or their front office and how it's managed it. I, I know that both John Mazalak and Mike Schultz were purposely vague in explaining what went down. And, and there's probably things that we'll never see the light just because that's how the organization prefers to operate. However, it became very clear, and Mazalak indicated this as well this morning during his press conference, that there was just internal disagreements that they could not come to a head upon. And, and apparently it became to the point where there was just no solution and they had to move forward from Mike Schultz. Again, not something anybody was expecting. Now, whether that comes from a culmination, it, it, I don't really think it came from performance, right? I mean, Mo was pretty adamant in saying this is not a, a win or loss decision, and it really couldn't be because Mike Schultz has been very successful as a manager. I think it just became a, a conflict of, of opinions and differences moving forward with how the organization wants to operate. 2022 has long been estimated as the Cardinals' biggest window of contention they have everybody coming back. They have Wainwright coming back for one more year. Yadier Molina's coming back for one more year. Their young core and Jack Flaherty, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson are all expected to perform up to expectations. 
And their top prospects in Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor are knocking at the door and expected to debut in 2022 as well. The Cardinals, as we all know, are they're an organization that prides themselves on winning and being competitive. And while they have been in the postseason a majority of the past seasons, and they have had 14 consecutive winning seasons, they haven't won a World Series over the last decade. And I know A's fans are probably rolling their eyes saying, oh, that's been so long, right? I get it. I do. But this organization and their fan base has such lofty expectations that the pressure is mounting to win now. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. This Oliver Marmol, I guess he's known as Ole. He's the 51st manager in Cardinals history. Obviously, the Cardinals have one of the great histories in our game. He's just 35 years old, so he's got multiple players. I think uh, my producer, Cody, just recently said there's like eight players older than he is that uh, he's going to be managing. Who is this guy, and how do you think he'll do? Oh, yeah, it, it is uh, absurd. He Before becoming the youngest manager in the major leagues, he was the second youngest bench coach in the major leagues. Um, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina actually had won a World Series with the Cardinals before Ollie was drafted um, as a minor leaguer. So that kind of puts, puts things into perspective. Yeah. Again, there, there's nothing, nothing normal about this organization, pretty much since I started covering this team, actually. Um, but when you're looking at kind of age and who Ollie is and his respect within the organization, this is someone who really fits the Cardinals mold. Again, they've always been an internal organization. They prefer to promote within. They don't often bring in external candidates. Ollie was drafted through the Cardinals organization, played for them as a minor leaguer, has coached throughout their minor league system, has managed for five years in their minor league system, and served on their major league staff for the last five years. Most recently was their bench coach for the last two under Mike Schilt, who he considered to be a very close friend and mentor. So this is someone that is very familiar with the ins and outs of this organization. He is respected throughout the organization, the front office staff, the players, all the way through the multiple levels that you need to have when you're going to take over as manager, especially as abruptly as Marmol is. So it seems like a strange hire externally and especially maybe people that aren't as familiar with the Cardinals organization. But when you're looking at it and you're looking at the history of the trends of how this organization operates and promotes from within, it was pretty much right on paper that this is the way they were going to go. I mean, when you look at it, since uh, Tony La Russa decided to retire after winning the World Series and then eventually came back, they've, hi- they've only hired internal candidates as their manager. Mike Matheny was internal. Mike Schultz was his bench coach. When Mike Matheny was fired, Mike Schultz took over. When Mike Schilt was fired, who takes over his bench coach, his bench coach and Ollie Marmol. So it really does fit their Cardinals narrative. Uh, surprising, I think, just that they have a new manager, but not surprising at all in who it is. You know, and, and I think about the Central. I mean, bottom line, I think Cubs are going through a rebuild. You start looking around at the competition. I mean, this is still, wouldn't you say, the Cardinals division to win for years to come? I do think that, and I get a lot of, of, I think, blowback because the Brewers were great this year. The Reds were certainly promising up until the very end. But when you look at the team best suited to make a push, the team best suited, of course, we always have to preface this with staying healthy, but the team best suited on paper right now to make a long run and a consistent run, it looks like the Cardinals. And the pressure is mounting more and more. I mean, 2022 has been circled on the front office's calendar for a long time as kind of just the window where everything was going to blend together. It's a reason why when everything went haywire and Jack Flaherty ended up missing the majority of the season and they had no starting pitching and no bullpen, why the front office didn't jump into the free agency market or try to negotiate some early trades. It's also why at the trade deadline, they didn't want to blow things up and fire sell or, you know, 
make all these rash moves to improve their roster at the deadline because they are so focused on 2022 and that blueprint. Now, of course, the moves that they did make, that John Mozeliak did make, ends up paying off. Somehow he made John Lester and Jay Happ into like these stellar second-half starting pitchers and his relief pitchers, as TJ McFarland, A's fans are familiar with, had a phenomenal season, as did Luis Garcia. But there was a reason why they didn't go for more prominent names. It was because they did not want to mess up that blueprint of 2022. So I'm firmly all in and then being division favorites, I think they are too. And they said it today, both John Mazalok and Ali Marmol, that the expectation next year is to win a championship and anything under that is a disappointment. Well, I, you know, we try and tell our fans all the time that the Cardinals are such an interesting team because they're re- they really are like the Midwest team like people don't understand like you know years ago west of the mississippi it was it was the st louis cardinals and that was it there was no dodgers giants padres mariners a's and literally like you've got cardinal fans that go all the way into texas let alone oklahoma nebraska just you know educate our fans on just how big the fan base is in the midwest for the cardinals Oh, I mean, you can, you can take it from my firsthand experience. I grew up in California, Bay Area native, went to high school in Vacaville. And when I found out earlier this March that I was going to be moving from California to St. Louis, I quite honestly didn't really know much about the region at all. And I, you know the history behind the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, it's a very prestigious organization, not just in baseball, but in sports, just the franchise history and what they've accomplished in their long, decorated, you know, nonstop history. But I didn't realize just how far that spread throughout the entirety of the Midwest until I got there. You know, I, I see a lot of, of fans kind of complaining. All the Cardinals do is win. Oh, they're complaining over a 90-win season and not making it past the wild card. Oh, they haven't won a World Series since 2011. Oh, they haven't made the World Series since 2013. But to this fan base, that is an eternity because this Cardinals team is always historically good. That's why they are the Cardinals. That's why they have such an expansive fan base. So that's something I really had to learn on the fly. And believe me, it escalated really quickly when it was not clicking to me as a reporter why fans were so upset. I was like, well, guys, it's three weeks into the season. I think this is a little premature. Um, but I can definitely understand when you have an organization that prides itself on winning and has won in a multitude of ways and doesn't kind of tank or adapt to that sell now and rebuild mode that we see that's so common in sports. There's a lot of pride in that. And it definitely expands not just in the Midwest, but I think throughout the country. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, for us radio people, we've known for years that, you know, you you look at their radio network, you know, you know, before the Texas Rangers even showed up, they had radio stations in Texas. It's like it's like crazy to think how big the the Cardinals and the Yankees are the two teams that their media coverage is so vast. By the way, being a Bay Area person, you got to be honest, A's or Giants, who'd you grow up with? Well, if I, okay, if I say the answer, I feel like a lot of people are going to like just shut off your stream. So I, w- I will say that my dad did try to make me an A's fan. Uh, I was the oldest daughter. He was a huge A's fan. But I grew up in the Barry Bonds era. It wasn't my mm-hmm. fault. When you have someone hitting balls in the ocean and you're six years old, that's who you got to, that's really who you got to admire. But I will say the big three remains my favorite pitching trio in all time. So hopefully I just bought some respect back from your listener. What, 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 what are you doing in St. Louis? Why'd you leave the Bay Area? 
I, you know, I've always wanted to be a beat writer. Um, that was just, it's always been a goal of mine since going to college was to, to be a beat writer, just because I think there's so much in media that you can learn in, in reporting and journalism by having one team that you stick with throughout the season, you travel with them, you know, the ins and outs of the organization, you see the players and the same faces every day. To me, that just seemed like the ideal job. And I always said, you know, I will go anywhere. I just want a team where I will have that opportunity. And apparently I said that a little too much because all of a sudden in March, they were like, here, here's the Cardinals. Are you interested? And I was like, I don't even know where Missouri is, but yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> so it, it's been a whirlwind. I lived in a hotel for like the first month of the season because I was hired right before opening day. There wasn't even a spring training to kind of adjust to. Um, and then of course, all the COVID precautions early in the year and we weren't traveling and it was only zoom that made it really tough. Um, but now that I have a, a first full season under my belt and a postseason game and a managerial firing and now a managerial hiring, I feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, but I am back in California right now visiting some family. So it is nice to be back on the West Coast. So, you know, everybody's different. You know, like our guys haven't traveled. I mean, still to this day, like the, the Sharks and the Warriors, everybody's still doing the broadcast from the studios in San Francisco. But then, you know, we look up and then our buddies from like the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros, they're traveling. So it, 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 it's like a tale of, of different worlds, especially in baseball. Where are you guys from a standpoint of traveling, being with the team, being able to see the team on an everyday basis? I, I'm sure it's still far different from California. You know, the Cardinals were one of the very first teams, if not the first team, to reach the 80% vaccination rate early in the season. So I was encouraged early. And I remember this is a team that was absolutely decimated by three separate COVID outbreaks yeah. in 2020. So they saw firsthand just how devastating those effects could be. Some guys even still had lingering effects over the winter from last year. But they were able to reach their 80% vaccination rates pretty soon the or pretty quickly. The majority of that team was vaccinated. So I was optimistic that they would open some sort of access, even if it was just on the field. That has helped so much. Uh, the Cardinals radio broadcasters were able to travel midway through the season. I started doing majority full travel on July 1st. Um, and really, you know, you can do reporting through the Zoom era, but it is such a disservice to the fans, to the people that pay for the coverage, the people who are ultimately spending their money for, for tickets to get into the stadium and to, you know, really propel the teams because you miss out on so much. Players don't have an opportunity to kind of express themselves off camera. You miss out on a lot of those, as you know, those conversations that go off the camera, you know, off the record, just the day-to-day, -day, hey, what's up? The casual chat that really kind of formulates those relationships. I think it is such a disservice from a journalism perspective to not have reporters out there full-time. I cannot imagine doing a job as, as difficult as broadcasting from a computer monitor. My hope is that by 2022, there'll be some sort of clubhouse access restored, but more importantly, that reporters are allowed to freely travel as broadcasters are as well, because it really is such a disservice as an entire product to the fans. That's ultimately who we're here for. So my fingers are crossed there. I'm hoping, you know, 2021 was certainly better than 2020. Do not get me wrong, but there's still ways we can go. Yeah. You know, it, it, when, when, so we do our show from the field. And we've done it for years. We're the only we're the only show like it, in Major League Baseball. So all of our right. guests come down on the field, and it, it, it's really cool. And when we got back after the pandemic, they allowed us back on the field. You know what was crazy? 
Like the players were like, it's great to see you. Like it was so odd for them not to see people that they end up realizing they don't like it. They actually do like having us around and right. uh, Right. right? I mean, they like appreciate, like, it's great to see you guys. We get somebody to talk to. I mean, it was so bizarre, but yeah, that's like the, that's like the thing, like the players realized they missed seeing all the people around them because all they were looking at were cardboard cutouts. Right. And it's so hard to have a personal conversation on Zoom because these players and coaches are under the expectation that this can be copied and pasted out of context at any time, put on social media, you know, anything that they say is instantly recorded. That's really hard. I, I know I, for one, would fail under that kind of of pressure but it was it was pretty funny when we first got access back we had to we weren't allowed on the field yet but with we were allowed to go down to like the lower level and talk through a you know those kind of rope fences um because that really stops any kind of germs right you're still standing very close to each other but there's that rope fence that separates you um and it was so weird because this was like june and i would introduce myself to guys and i'd be like it's nice to meet you because I hadn't met them in person yet, but we'd been talking every day for eight weeks. It was just a really strange dynamic, but I can tell you firsthand, having these conversations in person and being able to show up every day and being able to, to converse outside of a computer screen helped my relationship with the team immensely. Uh, and again, it, it was just so strange to, in June, see someone in person and, and not behind a computer screen. I felt the need to like reintroduce myself each time just because they didn't know what I looked like because they really only knew me from the shoulders up. Very strange. Yeah. I'm very glad yeah. we're hopefully past that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. We truly appreciate it. We'd love to have you on again. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me on. Enjoy the game one. No doubt about it. Katie Wu, who uh, covers the St. Louis Cardinals, Bay Area native. She was good. And how about that? First year on the beat. You got a new manager. You fire a guy who's successful. See, this is this this is what Cody. I try and tell people all the time. We're having a really good run as an A's fan. You know who's running the organization. Everybody's been here for a bazillion years. You got a manager that everybody respects. You got a manager that all the players love to play for, and they play hard for. Continuity is a good thing in business. And I don't think people understand that. Can you imagine? You just, you fired a manager who's led you to the playoffs for some unknown, you may know him in your family, but to, I don't, Oli, who the hell is this guy? Marmol? I have no idea who the hell he is. He's 35 years old. You're talking about one of the classic from Whitey Herzog to Tony LaRussa. The Cardinals are one of the great sports franchises in American history. And you might say, Townsend, are you serious? Yes. Go look at the success. Go look at the Hall of Famers. What have they, they're like, and and remember, you're the A's, you're the same thing. I think we've won nine, how many, they've won like nine or ten World Series. How many have they won? Cody, you got, I'm scared to touch. So, when I'm doing this show and I tell Cody to look something up, because we don't want me to touch my computer because if I touch my computer, <laughs> stuff changes. 11 uh, World Series. They've won 11? What yeah. have we won? Nine? Uh, that sounds about right because it's, well, four in Oakland. 
So let's see. So they're 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 the second most to the Yankees, because the Giants are up there too. Because now that they rolled three off, they're up to like nine. See, we are. So the Cardinals probably are second behind the Yankees. Have what twenty seven? Yeah, twenty seven for the Yankees. Yeah, we have nine. Here, I'll t- let's look that up. Um, I would say the card if the Cardinals are at eleven, they're they're number two. That's a lot. And you think, man, Stan Musial, Bob Gibson. I mean, they've had some of the greatest players of all time. Ozzie Smith. Yeah, it's Yankees, Cardinals. Yankees with 27, Cardinals with 11. A's, Red Sox, both with nine. Uh, and then the Giants. Wow, the Red Sox have come on strong lately, by the way, with three. Giants have eight. Dodgers have six. Oh, tie for seventh. The Pirates. And the Reds. Uh, your Pirates haven't won since 1979. Thank you. I know it's been it's been 42 years. Thank yeah, you for letting yeah. me. Yeah, I, I I I'm old enough to remember <laughs> the We Are Family, Willie Stargell, Dave Parker, Bill Madlock, uh, Kent Colby Pirates. I believe they won the World Series on the same day. When they won the World Series in 71 and 79, they won on the same day. Like it was like whatever the day was, like in October. What? They won on the same day, just years apart. It was on. They won the World Series on the same day, years apart. So whenever Game Seven was in '71, they won it in Game whatever Game. The the Bill Mazeroski. Well, that was in 1960. That was in '60. Yeah, that was against the Yankees, where they're outscored like 55 to 20 in that World Series, and they won World Series. Hey, you just got to win four. That's what. Wait a minute, they won in '71. They won in '71 against the Orioles, and then they won in 1979 against the Orioles. Yeah. See, I remember 79. So that, that that's like the, for me, 1979, 1980 is when I, I, I legitimately can say I remember that. Like the Raiders beating the Eagles in the Super Bowl was my first ever Super Bowl party. Um, that year, the Steelers would have been the 79 season. The Steelers beat uh, Vince Ferragamo in the Rams. Terry Bradshaw. That's the first Super Bowl I remember. And then the next year, the Raiders beat the Eagles. Yeah, I, I've had people come say, hey, Townsie, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you remember when the A's won? <laughs> no. I was born in 1972. I don't remember the A's winning three straight. Sorry, I've read about it. I've researched it. I've watched games as we chronicled the games last year during COVID. But no, as a baby... I was not watching the A's win the World <laughs> Series against the Big Red Machine in 1972. Yeah, so nor it, nor do I even remember the Big Red Machine winning two World Series yeah. after that. I would have been like three years old. Two two things real quick, and one of them has to do with the Big Red Machine. Pirates won the World Series in 1971 on October 17, 1971. They won the World Series in 1979 on October 17, 1979. So same day, eight years apart, is when they won their two World Series. The Big Red Machine is still the last team to repeat in the National League as World Series champions. Correct. So, I mean, <laughs> that's that really impressive. It's been done multiple <laughs> times in the American League. Um, you would think that I would have grown up a Pittsburgh fan because my first memories are the Steelers and the Pirates winning. But no. Dirty Pittsburgh. Well, I mean, the Pirates haven't won anything since. I mean, yeah, we've, they've made the playoffs a few times since. Hey, how, how how did that work out all those years with Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla and Andy Van Slyke and Sid Bream scoring 
You mean, you mean, you mean Barry Bonds can't throw? You mean Pirates of Legend, Sid Bream? <laughs> when Sid Bream, when when Barry Bonds couldn't throw out Sid Bream, that's when I was like, don't ever call him a five-tool player. Now, Barry Bonds arguably is the greatest player of all time. I get it. But don't tell me Barry's a five-tool player. He couldn't throw out Sid Bream at home plate. His arm is so bad. You as a pirate fan should know that. Oh, it was it was awful. That's why I like, said that like he, he couldn't throw out a guy with he, one like, leg. Four hopped a ball to home plate to throw Sid Bream. <laughs> and and it was still pretty close. I mean, I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm not gonna say it wasn't. You but... mean Sid Bream who had a knee brace on? <laughs> you can't throw out a guy from short left field who has a knee brace on? Come on. I I, I remember listening to the call. Um. In when they had that game, I remember went back go back to listen to it on that play. That the call of that game was Tim McCarver, Jim Gray, and Sean McDonough. Sean McDonough was like thirty; like he was like really young on that call. I'm listening, I'm like, is that Sean McDonough calling the game? Like, you know, Sean McDonough of Monday Night Football fame. And I'm like, why is he calling yeah, but baseball? Yeah, he was bald then too, so he looked old. <laughs> now he does Red Sox games. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, that 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 you know, it took twenty years, and they they finally made the playoffs again, and here we are again. They they stink again. Well, coming up next, my dream was ended yesterday. And we'll talk to Roxy Bernstein about it next, right here on A's Cast Live. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course, one of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. You know what a reality is? And what's cool about my job is that you just heard that promo with Billy Bean. I'm allowed to have an opinion. And sometimes that opinion is not of the same opinion that the front office has. And no one's ever called me and said, hey, man, you can't say that. You can't do that. I ripped the Donaldson trade. It was horrible. And Billy understands it. Billy's a stand-up guy. That's the one thing that if there's, like, Billy's a very smart man. Obviously, he's a great negotiator. He's a great businessman. He's a great public speaker. But he also is someone that's not thin-skinned. And that's what's great about Billy, because a lot of executives are insecure. A lot of executives don't like to be criticized. Do you think Billy Beans ever called me up and said, hey, uh, don't, don't, don't say anything about the Donaldson trade? 
I've ripped that trade for years. You know how long I've been ripping that trade? That trade was awful. Where is Sean Nolan? Who's Sean Nolan? I you know. Remember him, the left-handed pitcher, Sean Nolan? Franklin Barreto? Oh, my God, Franklin Barreto. Franklin Barreto stinks. Franklin Barreto is never going to be a Major League Baseball consistent player. He is a tools guy. Seriously, Brett Laurie? Psych. What, weird guy. And it, it's, you know what? Brett's the type of guy, by the way, his skill set would still keep him playing baseball, but he's an awkward clubhouse guy. Who was the fourth guy in that? Uh, Sean Nolan, Brett Laurie. Astros reliever, Kendall Graveman. Kendall Graveman, that's right. Who, by the way, Kendall Graveman was a back-to-back opening day starter. If you remember the one year Sonny Gray got food poisoning, Kendall Graveman was an opening day starter. By the way, I love Kendall Graveman. As much as I love Roxy Bernstein, I love Kendall Graveman. He is a super kid. Roxy, how are you? Did you mention Franklin Barreto? Well, we, we were just playing the promo about being Billy Bean ripping the Donaldson trade himself. <laughs> just not me doing it. And you know what, Roxy, as someone you also work for the A's, is someone it's and, and something that's so different from when let, let's say you worked for the Marlins. The fact that everybody with the A's allows us to have opinions and everybody's thick skinned and, and no one is calling us saying, Hey, don't talk about that. Wait, you're saying that stuff happened in Miami? I'm saying that you probably had that a lot happen in Miami. No offense to the, the Miami Marlins, by the way. Oh, who were then the Florida Marlins at the time? Correct. And a lot of just, and, and I don't know. I mean, I've known you for many years. I, I, I'm not going to say they were dysfunctional. Oh, I will, I will say it. <laughs> oh, there was, Chris, I mean, there, there's so many things that happened when I was there that you just wouldn't believe. Like, this is Major League Baseball, and this is how a, a, a Major League Baseball team exists. I mean, just. The year alone that Joe Girardi was there managing the club in 2006 was just a soap opera from day to day. You had no idea what was going to happen. And then if I repeated some of those stories, people wouldn't believe them, that this goes on with a Major League Baseball team. It was so dysfunctional. I mean, you had like scouting meetings, you know, coaches meetings were before every series, right? Where... uh the coaching staff meets and then they have the game plan offensively, how they want to attack the pitching staff for the other team. And then they'll have the hitters meeting as well. And they'll go over the pitchers that are on the roster, not just the starters, but the relievers. So they have a game plan going into each series. And, you know, they, these meetings last, what, about anywhere from 15 minutes to a half hour before the team goes out for batting practice the first day of the series. Have you ever heard of a situation where they had a coach's meeting and some of the coaches weren't invited because the manager didn't trust them? Oh my god. <laughs> was it was it was it was it Joe Girardi manager of the year and he got fired? Yes. 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 What year was that? 2006. Oh and the Marlins, god. that team was the only team in the history of Major League Baseball to go from 20 games below 500 to climb above 500 in that same season after getting 20 below. 
they that team started out eleven and thirty one, and they had a couple of nine game winning streaks along the way, and they got back to above five hundred. Then they fell apart at the end and fell out of the race the last couple of weeks. But they were right in the thick of things as far as the wild card race went that year, and there was. Look, you hate to say this, but I think there were people in the front office that didn't want the team to win because of Joe Girardi's success. And that, uh, that made for a real awful situation for everybody. You know, that's the thing that I always talk about with continuity with the A's. When you think of how long Billy Bean's been here, when you think of like David Forrest and Billy Owens and Kubota and, you know, Lippman, who's now going to retire. But you think of the continuity that the A's Dan have Feinstein. had with and it just and, and you 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 think back to your time with the Mar like like the Marlins have won two. It's hard to believe they've won two World Series and they were both wild card teams both time. And they had a, and and you know what's crazy, Roxy, about the Marlins? They had insane talent. They've always oh had insane talent, and yet it's like they can't get out of their way. Well, so so the first year that I was there, um, it was. A veteran-laden, talented team. Carlos Delgado, that was the one year he was in Miami. Juan Pierre, uh, Mike Charles Lowell. Johnson? Didn't you have Charles Johnson? No, he wasn't there when I was there. Paul LaDuca was our catcher in 2005. Uh-huh. Juan Encarnacion, um, Luis Castillo, Alex Gonzalez, Jeff Conine. So it was a, a team that also had young rising stars like Miguel Cabrera, like Josh Willingham that were there. And then you go over the pitching staff, Josh Beckett, AJ Burnett, Al yeah. Leiter at the tail end of his career. Dontrell Willis won 22 games in 2005. Um, and then they did their market correction as they termed it. And then they had all this young talent the next year. You know, they, you had Cabrera who they kept and then Willingham. And, and Dontrell was there, but then they make the deal with the Red Sox, trading Beckett and Lowell to Boston. You get Hanley Ramirez, Annabelle Sanchez back in that trade. Um, they made a deal with the Mets. You get Mike Jacobs to come in. You picked up Dan Ugla as a Rule 5 guy. So, And they had some young talent that was coming through the system. And so it was really fun to watch that team grow and those young guys. Like the entire infield at the time, all of them had 20 or more homers. You had Cabrera at third, Ramirez at short. It was the rookie of the year in 2006. Dan Ugla at second base. And then Mike Jacobs at first base. And all those guys were hitting bombs. You know, it's hard. You know, I, I know for our younger fans, they won't remember this, but Miguel Cabrera as a skinny, super athletic, I mean, he was never going to be a great defender. But as an offensive force, I mean, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no question. Oh, no question. Yeah. You got to see, you got to see when he was like the dude. He was incredible. Oh, my gosh. Just some of the stuff that he was able to do. And he became more dedicated to his craft as he got older, which we see with a lot of people, right? He would, it was just insane, the talent that he had. And he came up, people forget. He came up as a shortstop. He was like Carlos Correa, Corey Seager. He was a big, rangy shortstop when he first came up. But there's no way he was good, though. (laughs) Oh, he he was okay. But then, well, then the thought was to move to third base. But Mike Lowell was there. 
They oh, had to find nice. a spot for Cabrera so that Miguel picked up playing a corner outfield. He'd be in left field. He'd be in right field for the Marlins. And then the next year when they made all those moves, they put him at third base. And look, he wasn't a great third baseman. He wasn't bad. He's got, he actually had quick first step. He has soft, great hands. He's always had great hands. And he was able to make some pretty remarkable plays. But then, unfortunately, as he got older, he ate himself off third base. And they, they moved him over to first. And, and he's DHing. I think the American League was better suited for him at that point, so he could DH. But you look at the, the length of his career, winning a Triple Crown, MVP, all the stuff that he's been able to accomplish. And I'm not surprised in the least because I remember the first time I really saw him like up and close on a daily basis. I was just mesmerized by the talent and his ability. And by the way, people forget how good Mike Lowell was. Mike Lowell was a terrific third baseman. Great defensive third baseman. And look, he's not Matt Chapman, uh, but he was very, very good. Uh, and he was a gold glove caliber third baseman. And it's funny because 2005 was the year the Marlins were really going for it. That was in the midst of when the Braves were in that run of 14 consecutive division titles. And, and it started in the NOS and it was in the NLEs. But that was the year the Marlins really went for it. And they opened up the checkbook and Jeffrey Laurie was paying guys. And they fell short. That 2005 team just never hit their stride. Mike Lowell had a miserable season. He just could not get out of his own way that year. He had a tough time. And I felt bad for him. He put so much pressure on himself because he wanted to deliver so badly for that team, and they needed him. Um, and that was a fun team to watch. They just they, they fell short, and then they do what the Marlins tend to do is build it up, break it down, build, try to build it up again, and that's where they are right now. But you think of the, the players that have come through even since. I mean, Christian Yelich, Giancarlo Stanton. You go on and on with these great players that have come through. The fans have been treated to unbelievable talent over the years in South Florida. Yeah, there, there's no question about it. And, you know, uh, Roxy, talking about the World Series that we're going to have starting tomorrow, you know, I've mentioned this multiple times. If you're going to have a good movie and you're going to have a good book, you got to have a villain, and the villain is in the World Series in the Houston Astros. And we all look. For obvious reasons, we don't like the Astros, right? And that's what we're ingrained to do. They're division rival of the eight. And they have a lot of people on that team that we think are unlikable. But the one thing I will say is how much everybody loves and respects Dusty Baker. And that's where I have a little bit of consternation, the inner struggle, because I do want to see Dusty win, right? He's, he's, had so many things in the game of baseball and seen so much. He was a great player. He's been a terrific manager. And we all know the character and the quality of a person that Dusty is. And, but you just, you just can't root for them because of the stink that is still there with the Astros. I can't root right? for them, Roxy. I, I cannot can't. root for them. I love and, Dusty. I cannot well, root for them. Well, what makes it easy is Wash is on the other side. And right. Well, Yes, Walt Weiss, Ron Washington are there. And the Braves do have a lot of likable guys. And I think we've talked about it before. I did a number of Braves games down the stretch for ESPN Radio in September. 
And I got to talk to a number of these guys. Like Austin Riley is a terrific guy and a young budding star that is going to be a force in the middle of that lineup. They have a lot of good character. I mean, Freddie Freeman's as good a guy as there is in baseball. So the Braves are easy to root for. And I, I think a lot of people, just because of the stink and the, still, and the, the stigma that's still with the Astros, are going to be pulling for the Atlanta Braves just because of what has gone on in Houston in the past, even though there's only basically a handful of guys that are still left with the Astros from what transpired previously. And I, I remember when we were sitting here talking about Dodgers, Giants, whoever wins this series. And at that point, we had Walt Weiss on the program and we had Ron Washington. They're like, hey, we're hot. I mean, the bottom line, it's who's hot at this time of the year. And really, the Braves have been as hot as I mean, no one was hot as the Cardinals who won 17 in a row. But I mean, the Braves, you, you had their games. I mean, they've been playing yeah. great baseball. And I told you that, you know, okay, yes, the Giants and Dodgers are the favorites, but I wouldn't rule out Atlanta. I just, I liked the way they were playing. The only question I have with the Braves is their bullpen. And they catch a break with Lance McCullers not being available to, to pitch in the World Series for the Astros. Um, but, you know, for them to be where they're at, considering what they've gone through this year, right, with Acuna going down and everybody saying this team is done, it's over. Uh, the Braves now you can write them off because their superstar is out. Well, guess what? Out, they have, were active at the deadline right away. They went and got Jock Peterson and the moves to get Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario came through enormously, as we know, in, in the NLCS. Adam Duvall to bring him back as he was with the Marlins and comes back to the Braves. And the great season that just Riley has had. But you look at what Ozzy Albies has done this year. And even though Dansby Swanson is only hitting about 250, he still hit, what, 27 home runs this year? And he hit eighth in that lineup for a lot of, uh, of the season. And he had a good run in this series um, against the Dodgers as well. So it's a deep lineup that, you know, when they go, they're not going to be at a disadvantage in terms of when they play in Houston and have to use a DH because they have depth off the bench, right? If you're going to put, okay, you know, Rosario, Soler, and Duvall in the outfield. Well, guess what? Josh Peterson then can DH for you. So the Braves are not going to be at a disadvantage where a lot of National League teams could be at a disadvantage heading into the World Series just because they have not played with a designated hitter all year. And, and something that's going to be interesting this offseason is there literally is not 30 legit DHs in the world. There's just not. I mean, to have a guy like Edgar Martinez or Big Poppy or, you know, the aging guy like Dave Winfield or George Brett, uh, there's just not enough of those guys to go around. What do you think that's going to be like next year? Because there's going to be the universal DH, but there's truly not 30 DHs out there. It's going to be interesting to see how baseball, just not the American League now, but how baseball navigates these waters. I'm resigned to it also that there's going to be universal DH, even though I'd like to see the pitcher still bat. Uh, I, I like the variety in the two leagues. And, okay, yeah, there's some pitchers that look miserable up there at home plate. But there's also some guys like Madison Bumgarner who you want to see bat that can handle the bat. So I, I, I'm hoping that they don't make it. I am resigned to the fact that it's probably going to happen. 
And you know it, Chris, that being a DH is not easy. No. And it's, it's an acquired experience that you have to learn how to do to stay ready mentally and, and physically. Because, you know, you're, you're sitting around for an hour, then you're going to come back up to home plate and try to swing the bat again. And for somebody like Nelson Cruz to have this career and figure it out, and we've seen Chris Davis in the past, for example, some guys just can't do it. And they, it, it didn't work for Mitch Moreland this year. He tried to do it, but some guys just aren't built for it. And you have to learn how to do it. And I think that's going to be part of the transition for some of these guys to be able to handle it. Okay, how many swings do I go get in the cage in between at bat? How do I stay loose? How do I stay engaged in the game when, you know, I'm sitting around on the, in the dugout while everybody else is out there on the field and I have to go up there and hit four times a night? It's not easy to do. No, it's not. And these guys all have these unique stories. Like, I mm-hmm. go ride the bike. Uh, sometimes I take a shower. I mean, all these guys yeah. have crazy stories of how do you keep – because you think about it, Roxy. I'm getting four at-bats a game. The game's mm-hmm. three hours. I'm literally only participating in maybe two minutes of a three-hour game. How do I keep my mind involved? How do I keep active? And it really is an art to be a great DH. It, it is. And I, I think that people have tried to pick brains of a Nelson Cruz over the years and all these terrific DHs that we have seen that how do they stay loose? How do they stay engaged when you're having to sit around for so long between opportunities? Um, and some guys just, they, they have to play first base. And I know, for example, we talked about Miguel Cabrera earlier, Chris. I talked to Miggy about it. He struggled with it early on. He didn't want to do it because of, of that reason. He wanted to be out there and stay involved in the game. And he wanted to play first base. And so when, for example, remember when the Tigers had him and, and uh, Prince, Prince Fielder? Fielder? Yeah. That was difficult on the both of them because both guys wanted to play first base, but obviously only one guy can do it. And it made it very difficult on both guys. And it's, again, it's something that with experience over time, you have to learn how to do it. Well, Roxy, yesterday my my my, my balloon got popped. I, I really thought our Sharkies were gonna go eighty two and oh. I, I You were buying into eighty two and oh, huh? I I thought this was the year. And then next thing you know, you're down early in Boston. They battle uh, back the Bruins. They battle back, man. You know, it was four one all of a sudden it's four three, you're putting the pressure on Boston. Oh, but... you got you and Cody were watching NFL. I was I was knee deep. In Sharks world, as I How do you know missed, what I was watching. You were watching NFL. I was ne- I wasn't watching Raiders. I was watching Sharks. I was watching the Sharks. Stop it! I wasn't wa- the what was our early game yesterday? And it's I, wasn't it a dog? And I was flipping it during the intermission breaks or commercials and the hey, TV the way, timeout. You're, you're, hey, your Tennessee Titans are no day at the beach. Well, your Raiders are five and two now. Well, my Raiders are doing well, but I I, I got to tell you, if I was sitting there on defense and I got to and I got to tackle Henry 30, 30 something times a game, I'm Oof. not going to be happy about that. No, no. And Tannehill, by the way, this is who they thought he would be. Tannehill's a winner now. He, he you know what's crazy is when he started at Texas A&M, he was a wide receiver initially. 
And then they moved him to quarterback because there were guys in his way, but he was so athletic and gifted that they wanted to just get him on the field. Ryan Tannehill, if you look at the numbers, was a pretty good receiver at Texas A&M. And then they moved him to quarterback finally, and he blossomed there. And that, everybody knew that was eventually going to be his position, but he wasn't ready at the time, and he was stuck behind some veteran guys early in his Texas A&M career. Hey, you, you, you know who Travis Henry reminds He reminds me of Eric Dickerson. How they, Der- Derek, Derek Henry. Derek Henry. How yeah, they, yeah. How they, how they, that upright running and fast. He, he reminds me so of. so big, he, right? He I mean, Eric big. Dickerson was a big, I mean, yeah. but comparatively speaking, because Dickerson at the time was probably, what, 220, 225? And that was enormous for a running back at the time. But he was tall, you're right. And Henry's probably, what, 235, 240? And he's so physical, powerful, fast. It it is. Boy, if I'm a defender and I have to, uh, all of a sudden, if I have to go up against Henry that week, my hamstring might start bothering me. I might come up with a back injury all of a sudden. I can't go on Sunday. I don't want to deal with that. All right. I I don't want you to make, because, you know, we got a a lot of A's fans who are 49er fans. Um. You know, I, like I could look at the Raiders and tell you all about the Raiders and now with John Gruden gone and you've won two straight games without him and the momentum that's happening in Las Vegas. Uh, Roxy, when you look at Levi Stadium and you look at the 49ers, this is not, you know, this is not a good look. And you got a problem at quarterback and you got you. They you can't got, win at they, home. They can't win at home. What they, They've lost all three home games this year. What, 10 of their last 11 games at Levi Stadium, they've lost? That's a crazy. The, the 49ers just can't win at home. What do you do? <laughs> I don't, if I knew, I'd go tell John Lynch and, and Kyle <laughs> Shanahan. I you don't know. Go, you would not go help a Stanford guy. That is, that is not real. Well, see, no, I, I, now I have an obligation because, like, my daughter's friends with John Lynch's daughter. So, you know, they're doubles partners in tennis. Really? Yeah. They, the, they're both freshmen on the varsity team at their high school, and they play number one doubles together. Yeah. Are we, are, are, are we going to have a trip to Wimbledon someday? <laughs> what, to go watch? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> are, you, are you paying? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay, let's go. I'll go. I'm in. I'll, I'll go watch your kid play on the grass. Are you kidding me? Let's do this. She ain't getting there. I love my daughter, but she ain't getting there. <laughs> She's not Serena or Venus. I, no, I, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. No, Other than, and they won't be making movies about me, King Roxy. Of you know about me, <laughs> the, the, the tennis protege. You're not going to be Will Smith. <laughs> no, Will Smith will not be playing me in that movie. All right, what do you got this weekend? Or what I'm do you actually got off. Week coming up? You, you got the whole I, week I'm off. off, so I have a bye week this week. So I, I was going to go do, uh, uh, I think it's Michigan, Michigan State this weekend. I think I was, I, I was asked to do it, but I'm just going to take the weekend off, believe it or not. Um, just because I got so much stuff coming up with basketball starting. And so uh, I'm going to take my kid. I'm going to be dad this weekend he's got a soccer game saturday morning and then saturday afternoon i'm going to take him to go see the mighty golden bears who are on a one-game winning streak uh against oregon state at memorial stadium and then sunday i have to drive him out to vacaville for his travel hockey game 
Uh, look out for Harbaugh. It's starting to work. We'll see. We'll see. And I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to get behind Jim Harbaugh until he can actually beat Ohio State. He hasn't proven he can do that yet. Look out for Harbaugh. All right, buddy. Okay. We'll talk to you next week. See you, Townie. Okay, brother. The great Roxy Bernstein coming up next. A Hall of Famer, one of the great pitchers of all time. Tom Glavin will join us right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, cannot wait for Tom Glavin, the Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers to have ever lived. And can you imagine him and Wayne Gretzky on the same line together? Uh, I remember we talked to him about hockey before. Um, a really good hockey player, Gretzky. Or he Gretzky, was drafted was. in front of guys who were NHL Hall of Famers. Yeah, he was drafted ahead of them. Oh, he he had a pretty he had a pretty good career in baseball. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's going to work out? Did didn't he win three hundred exactly, or it was just over three hundred? Yeah, he. I mean, yeah, three hundred five. Yeah. I mean, because Maddox, I mean, Maddox won 355, but he still won 300. You, you don't care about wins, so you want to tell him that? Different era. And the Hall of Famer joins us. Tom, how are you? I'm you know, we, great. How are you guys? We were just joking. Can you imagine? There was potential for you to be on the same line as Wayne Gretzky and the L.A. Kings. If you look back on it, can you imagine you could have played with Wayne Gretzky? I know, but fortunately for Wayne, he would have had to move to the wing. I would have played center, so um, <laughs> it might have changed his career. You know, it, it, you know, it's like like everybody. Obviously, you're a Hall of Famer. You're one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But like the, the when you look at the names of the guys you were drafted ahead of in the NHL, you're talking about guys who were, who were NHL Hall of Famers. You were drafted ahead of them. Yeah, I tell you, every time I run into Brett Hull and I have an opportunity to remind him that I was drafted ahead of him, I do that. Um, I don't, I don't see Luke Robitaille all that much, but I did, uh, I did see him out in L.A. one time at Dodger Stadium. He invited me over to to, to see the Stanley Cup. Uh, we happened to be in town when he had it, and I reminded him then that I was drafted ahead of him too. You know, the you know one of the cool things about going to the Hall of Fame is. You know, over the years, watching you guys go in, uh, when you look at John, you look at Greg, you look at yourself, and now the Braves are back in the World Series. But your era 
that you guys played and it was every year and we're watching on TBS and it, it was such a special time. Have you guys ever been able to like, be able to like really reminisce of just like to the greatness that, that was the Atlanta Braves back in the nineties? You know, that's a good question. I mean, I guess, you know, to some extent we do, I mean, you know, when we get together, and I guess that's one of the great things now about, um, you know, certainly Hall of Fame weekend. Um, but, you know, I'll see John and Greg uh, at a couple of golf tournaments during the course of the year, too. And, you know, we inevitably will sit down and have a beer or two and we'll talk and talk smack and all that stuff. And, you know, there are, I think a lot of our stories, obviously, that we talk about um, revolve around that time. And, and I think when you, if you were a fly on the wall to listen to the conversations, you would you would realize how much fun we actually had playing together. Um, and then we had the added benefit of having some really good teams to go along with it. I don't know that we talk a ton about, you know, man, we were really good or what we did was really crazy or, you know, anything like that. I think we understand it and we appreciate it. Um, but I think that the bulk of our conversations are about, you know, golf trips that we made or golf courses that we played or stupid things, mostly that Greg did that we laugh about. So, you know, it's usually a lot of fun. And, and, and that's something that we don't see that much anymore. You guys played golf everywhere. You guys went, you know, if you weren't pitching that day, even if you pitched, I think some of you guys were playing that day. That that's something we don't see anymore. That that you guys you guys lived a life beyond just what your your profession was talk about that yeah and, and i think that's why we all got along so well is because we had that we had that in common we all love playing golf right and you know i know uh, you know i know john played golf um on days that he pitched when he was a closer um all of us always talked about trying it um one time before start none of us ever did um you know i know there were a number of years where you know obviously we clinched our division early and, you know, you're kind of running out the schedule in September and we were talking about, man, maybe I'm going to play golf before I pitch this time. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all had too much respect for the game and what we were doing and, and we just never did it. But, you know, there were times we, we got criticized for the amount of golf we played, but I can promise you, I'm going to say conservatively, 60% of our conversation on the golf course was about baseball. Um, you know, whether it was a series that we just played or a series, a series we're getting ready to play or, you know, somebody's struggling with something or, hey, how did you pitch this guy that I'm getting ready to face? You know, that kind of stuff. So it was it was all, like I said, centered a lot of it around what we were still doing. But it was a release for us. And, and Bobby was great about it. Um, you know, Bobby would be the first one every day we'd get to the ballpark and see us and be like, all right, where'd you guys play today? Um, and it was, a, it was a great outlet for us. Cause I think, you know, people forget and, you know, I loved having fun with my friends that I grew up with back in Boston that, you know, they'd call me and would be talking like, Hey, what are you doing? I'd be like, I'm on my way to work. And they'd laugh at me. And I'm like, listen, dude, it's, it's a job, you know, now I love my job and it's a better job than a lot of people have the opportunity to do. Uh, simply from the standpoint of how much I enjoy it. But when you're doing it every day, it's a grind. And the baseball season is a grind. And it, there's there's a lot of ups and downs emotionally, physically. So golf gave us an outlet to that. Um, and, I, and I think, to be honest with you, emotionally, it probably prolonged all of our careers because we had that. My favorite Bobby Cox story is Candlestick Park 
Bobby Cox got thrown out before the first pitch. And it was hilarious because clearly it was a freezing night at the stick. He did not want to be there. And as, <laughs> as you remember, he had to walk down the right field line oh, yeah. to the clubhouse. Bobby Cox got thrown out before the first pitch. It was unbelievable. Well, I can't blame him because we did convince Bobby, the starting pitchers, we convinced Bobby um, that in San Francisco, it, it was, it was just too cold to be out in the dugout. Uh, so he let, he let us starting pitchers stay in the clubhouse during the game, which was fantastic. But I'll give you one of my favorite Bobby, Bobby Cox stories. So we were back in the day before, you know, we had analytics. We just didn't call it analytics. Um, back in our day, you know, the starting pitcher would keep the pitching chart the day before he was going to pitch. And it was just a way for us to kind of track pitches, scout the opposing team. We're getting ready to play and all that stuff. So on the, one of these nights, it was early in the game, and there was a lot of bickering going back and forth between both dugouts with the umpire. And I went upstairs about the third inning to get a cup of coffee, and Greg was doing the chart. And I went up and I said, hey, doggy, uh, I said, there's a lot of bickering going on down there. Um, is, you know, is this umpire having a bad night? He's like, you know, not really. He's kind of missed some, but he's missed some for both sides. So it's kind of, it's kind of been pretty even, whatever. And I was like, okay. Two minutes later, Bobby comes up behind me to get a cup of coffee. And he asked Greg the same question. And Greg, right, without batting an eyelash, he said, oh, my God, Bobby, he's terrible. He's missed so many calls for us tonight, and he's just going on it. And as he walked out of the, as he walked out of the club, I said, I said, Greg, what are you doing? And he said, he kind of smirked at me. He's like, what? I said, you know he's going to go downstairs and get thrown out of this game. And he says, oh, I know. And on the next inning, bottom of the inning, starts arguing about umpire, about calls. You've been terrible all night long. And it was it was just inevitable. That is hilarious. You know, you know, I, I think about your career and, you know, one of the, you know, the great things about being on TBS all those years is that all of us around the country, here I am in the Bay Area, I got to watch, we watched you like every night. We got to see you, whether I was a kid or I, I became a professional and got to watch and, and to watch your game. And the thing that I wish so many pitchers today would like go watch your starts, your ability to control the baseball to where you could throw a strike or you could throw it right off the black, your ability to control the ball. And, 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 and now everybody just wants to blow everything by everybody. Just talk about how pitching has changed where you guys were like masters of the art. Now everybody is just about power. Yeah, look, I mean, we had to be, right? I mean, it was a different era. Um, you know, in today's game, everybody's bigger, faster, stronger. They throw the ball harder and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I struggle sometimes with whether or not that has equated to a better baseball game to watch. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence about it. You know, in our day, it was, you know, you had to command the baseball. You had to keep the baseball down. You stayed out of the middle of the plate. And if you didn't, you didn't last very long in the big leagues. And look, for me, a lot of what I did was out of necessity. I didn't throw hard. You know, when I got to the big leagues, I threw 90, 92 miles an hour. But it didn't take long for me to realize, especially after a 17 loss season, my first year in the big leagues, that I didn't throw enough strikes, that I didn't pitch ahead in the count enough. Um, and that winter after my first big league season, that's what I did. That was the whole focus of my winter was I need to learn how to throw my fastball for strikes more often. And I came back the next year and I won 14 games and I had a much better year simply because my command was better. 
And then I realized, you know what, you need to add another pitch. And, you know, I was a fastball curveball guy. I really needed to add a change up and I learned how to add a change up and that obviously became a bread and butter pitch for me. But, you know, it was the kind of thing that for me, like I said, I realized I didn't have the stuff to get away with mistakes very often. So I needed to stay out of the middle of the plate. And, and I just really learned how to throw the ball where I wanted to, particularly my fastball and, and whether it was throwing it for a strike or throwing it a little bit off the plate to try and get somebody to expand the zone or throwing it in the dirt to try and get somebody to chase. I mean, those are all things that, again, I, I practice. And I think that was one of the things that w- was one of my driving forces, uh, so to speak, was I was, you know, I, I never ended a season and thought, you know what, that was great. Everything I did was great. I don't need to change a thing. There was always something that I felt like I could do better from the year before. And, and I think that not only drove me, but it also gave me a little bit of a curiosity factor to, to, see, to say to myself, okay, you know, man, you're, you're really good at locating this pitch here. Can you locate it on the other side of the plate? Or, you know, you're really good at doing this in this situation. Can you do it in that situation? And I think that that drive to be better and that curiosity to see how good I could be was a big part of why I was successful. You know, when I think about the run of the Braves right now, and there's a, you know, obviously there's going to be a ton of appreciation uh, down there in the South for what you guys did. And it was funny watching Chipper Jones boot a ball in the stands, but it's like, like think about uh-huh. your era to where they are now. And it's the first time the Braves are going to the world series since 1999. And there's some A's in that clubhouse too, with our, our, our buddies, uh, Walt Weiss and, and Ron Washington, who we've, we've had on the program. Just, just how nice is it to see your Braves are back in the world series. And by the way, they're red hot and no one wants to battle a red hot team. Yeah, no, to your first point, yeah, those those uh, two former A's are, um, you know, two guys that I love on that coaching staff. Uh, had a chance to play with Walt, obviously, and, and I love Walt. Uh, he was a great player. He's a great coach, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see either one of those guys or both uh, get a managerial job this offseason. But, yeah, yeah, to your point, yeah, the Braves are hot, and, and they're playing good baseball, and nobody wants to play a hot team, right? Um, and it's always that age-old discussion and, and when it gets – when you get to the end of a season and into a postseason, you know, do you want your team to be that team that goes down to the wire and you're battle tested going into the postseason, or do you want to be able to have some rest? And, and I think in a perfect world, you'd like to have a little bit of both. Um, I think in the Braves case, look, they, they, they obviously had a, a difficult season to some extent, you know, and, and I remember when they clinched their division, I talked to Smith. And, you know, that was his, his feelings were that in many ways this was the most gratifying year because they couldn't get out of their own way for three quarters of the season. Uh, and then they, they got on a roll and they got hot. And, and fortunately for them, when they were kind of scuffling, nobody in the division took charge. Nobody ran away with it. So they were always in it. And then they got hot. And in a perfect world, yeah, you, you're 100% right. They, they do what every team wants to do, which is, they had a great two months of the two final two months of the season. They carried it into the postseason, and they're hot. And they're a team. You're right. The teams don't want to play now. You can make the same argument for for Houston. Um, I think you get to this stage of the game, and and while we can all sit down and and try and go position by position, which team's better, who has the edge? It's really razor thin as to who has the edge in this in this series, and it's going to come down to the same thing every short series does. Who can get a key hit? who can make a key pitch or a key sequence of pitches 
and who doesn't beat themselves? And it, you know, every every postseason uh, short series, anyway, seems to come down to those three things in some way, shape, or form. Let's end on this because you know whether you know in my career I've worked in the NFL, I've worked in the NBA, Major League Baseball. I don't think people really understand how hard it is to win on the road. I don't care if it's basketball, football, baseball. And for me, the Braves last year, literally they're having to play the Dodgers in Arlington. And the Dodgers hung out in Arlington for weeks. There's no home fee, but, and now they took care of the Dodgers at home, but just talk about, you know, all the experiences that you had in the postseason. just tell the fans, Winning on the road is not easy. It's not. I mean, and, and I would say and this, I say this with all fairness because I have obviously didn't play the other sports um, at the professional level. I, I feel like baseball is probably the easier of the other three major sports. You know, I feel like it's super hard to win on the road uh, in football, basketball, and hockey. I just feel like momentum is such a big thing um, in those other sports. Not to say that it's not in baseball, but you know, I just feel like there, there's more if, of if you're if you're the better team, you can win home or road. I feel like things maybe even 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 out or swing a little bit more in the home team's advantage than some of those other sports. But having said that, it's still hard. I mean, you're going into um, a hostile environment. Uh, the ebbs and flow of momentum are real. Uh, you can feel it. Um, they play a big part in the game. So certainly the home team has that advantage on their side an awful lot. Um, and then you boil it down to two to, to some of the ballparks you're talking about going into, right? I mean, it, it was never easy to play out there in Oakland. It was never easy to play in San Francisco. Uh, it's never easy to play in New York or some of those other big cities because the crowds get on you and they're into the game. Uh, and, and that can be a tough thing. So, um, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's never easy to go on the road and win in, in particular um, you know, particularly late in games when, when you're, uh, you know, you're in a tight game and the home team, home team crowd is in it and trying to get their team going. Um, it, it's a lot to contend with. Well, something that you're going to know. So uh, in the mid nineties, my last year playing college baseball was 95. And I, be, I ended up being a, an instructor at the Las Vegas school of baseball and your guy, Greg Maddox would show up. If people really knew, like I got to hang out with Greg Maddox. If people re- like, like you look at the glasses, you he's a completely different guy than people think he is, right? No, he he's the um, he's the baseball version of Clark Kent and Superman. I mean, you know, you, you you know you you look at him off the baseball field, and you never think he was who he was on the baseball field. I mean, there was there was nothing imposing about him whatsoever. Uh, not a big guy, not a guy that you would look at and go, oh, wow, he's in great shape or, or anything like that. And like you said, off the field, when, he, when he's got his glasses on, it's like, who is this guy? And, and, and it's like, well, he's one of the greatest pitchers you'll ever see. That's who he is. You know? so it, but I think that's part of what made him so great and, and really what made you know, even John the same way. You know, both, you know, and I think all of us to a certain extent. On the baseball field, we were what we were. Off the baseball field, I don't think we resembled what we were on the baseball field very much. We were all very unassuming, uh, very easygoing, didn't take ourselves very seriously off the baseball field. Like, we weren't, we weren't a big deal to ourselves or anything like that. But I think once that uniform went on and we crossed that line, 
it was it was a little bit different persona, and and you know we were going to go out there and get after it. Hey, let's be honest. You were the best athlete out of the three. There's no question. Oh, I tell them that all the time. I mean, John can argue, oh, I played basketball and whatever. I got drafted in two sports, dude. Mike dropped. You, you can't go there. So Yeah, there's no, like, like if I'm putting my money on the three of you, I'm putting my money on you. There's no question. <laughs> well, it, well, it depends. If you're going to talk, you know, if you're going to, the other sport's going to be uh, hockey. Obviously, I've got a clear-cut advantage. But multi, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, as much as it pains me, He's a pretty darn good athlete. Like he's one of those guys that, um, and and I think it was a big part of how he pitched. But um, he's one of those guys that if you challenge him to do something, he's gonna he's gonna try and do it. Uh, and there isn't much that he doesn't think he can't do. Uh, and and that kind of makes him dangerous. Well, I yeah. When he qualified for the senior U.S. Open, you're like, uh, that's that's a lot of respect. I mean, you're playing against some of the greatest <laughs> players sure. of all time. Yes, for sure. I mean, and he always used to, he would always talk about that. Oh, when I get done playing, I'm going to play in the senior tour. And I'd just scratch my head and say, John, you realize that, you know, we're 30, 35 years old right now. And all these guys that we're watching on the PGA tour are going to be on the senior tour when your turn comes up to be on the senior tour. And you've spent all this time playing baseball and they're spending all their time golfing. What makes you think you can compete with that? And, and he just thought he could. Well, let me tell you this, as someone who not only grew up watching you, but then covering you and having you, having you on my program now, I, I can't tell you, I've, I have the ultimate respect. You had one of the greatest careers of all time. You're a baseball Hall of Famer, and whenever we can have you on, it's an absolute honor. So be well, be safe, and thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Anytime, and uh, you'd be safe, too. The great Tom Glavin, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game. Do you want to call him back and tell him his 305 wins don't matter? Well, he still finished 50 behind Maddox. 305. I, I, I do love when, when they... Dude lost... Set, didn't he lose like 16 or 17 early on in his career? Yeah. It, it's it's crazy. I love listening to him and, and Greg and John Sports. He is one... Tom Glavin is one of the greatest pitchers who have ever lived. I love... I love listening to those three guys talk about playing with, you know, pitching, you know, with each other in Atlanta for all those years and just the stories they could tell. And, uh, I mean, we talk about the big three in Oakland. I mean, they were no, good. They no, were good. No, were good. But no, they were the no. big, they were the big three. Wasn't he the, uh, look this up. Wasn't he the, uh, world series MVP the year they won it? Uh, let me check. I uh, remember the commercial to him and Greg Maddox said chick stayed the long ball. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was the World Series MVP. He yes. was the World Series MVP. I mean, dude, Tom Glavin. By the way, Cody, pat yourself on the back. You get Tom Glavin's a Hall of Famer. He is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. It, it, it's it, look. It's hard to find. It, I'm not going to lie. Um, Glavin was my first choice for the World Series. Well, he well actually he was. Uh, I did text. Well, I was texting with Wash yesterday. It's 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 just too hard to get Wash on. He he was trying to make it work, but. They had a workout today, and they, just, they get they, this is the World Series. They got if Walt Weiss and Ron Washington are busy, we get it. All right, like 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 literally, as much as we think high of ourselves at A's <laughs> Cast Live, they they've got bigger fish to fry than us. But I mean, Tom Glavin, you got Tom Glavin. I mean, that's um, I, I did that literally. I could sit there and talk to him all day. Like I was looking at the clock, going, "God, how long did we had him?" I, I felt we kept him a little long, but I could, I, I mean, you think about Maddox, Smoltz, 
Glavin, like what that was, those guys are greatness. I mean, those guys, those guys were winning games when I was pitching in college. You remember Maddox as a cub? See, this is, you know what's funny about Maddox? First or second time. People don't realize Maddox was, when he was with the Cubs, he was like a 94, 95 mile an hour guy. Maddox actually threw a little hard for his time when he was young. Now, we all remember him like later in the years throwing 88 with a ton of movement and everything. Maddox as a Cub was a baller. There's a reason why Atlanta paid him all that money. And back then, if you remember, Atlanta was considered a big market club. They had one of the highest payrolls, if not the highest payroll in baseball. Remember, they had Ron Gant, they had Dave Justice, they had all these dudes. Atlanta was 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 a battle hardened. Yes, they only won one. They only won one World Series, but you go back way back when Atlanta was tough. They had talent across the board. Pitching, you, you know what? Was it was Alejandro Pena was a guy that they had closer. They had an issue with their bullpen. If they would have had a lockdown bullpen, Atlanta probably would have won four or five World Series. They didn't have a lockdown bullpen, and the only year they had it was Woolers in the year that they won the World Series. And other than that, he was a train wreck. Yeah, if they would have had a bullpen. They would have won multiple World Series. Yeah, and they had Rocker, but he was also a train wreck off the field. Oh, he was a train wreck. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, and you mentioned and you mentioned Maddox, and he said, "Do you remember him as a Cub?" And that's why I was like, "Which time? The first time, or when he went back after Atlanta?" <laughs> well, not the not not the great L.A. Dodger or San Diego Padre, Greg Maddox. I'm talking about early greatness of Greg Maddox. Here, here's Greg Maddox's. Uh, I mean, because here's Greg Maddox's stats. He had over three thousand career strikeouts, three hundred fifty-five career wins, one hundred six point six career WAR. He pitched in five thousand innings. Hall of Famer. He only won four Cy Youngs. I'm slacking a little bit. Um, four-time ERA champion. Eight-time All-Star. Here's what's most impressive. 18-time Gold Glove winner. No, 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 no. What's most impressive is that he won 15 games, at least 15 games, every year. So when you tell me wins don't matter... Tell me why this guy won at least 15 games. How many straight years? From It was from 1996. Oh, let me do it again. From, ni- from 18, 1988 at age 22, he won 18 games. From that year through 2004, it looks like, he won f- at least 15 games. So from 1986. 88. So 1988 to 2004, every year he won at least 15 games. Yeah, and then he won. Why is that? Why is that? His team scored a lot of runs for him. Why is that? When you tell me wins don't matter, and I'm not going to judge a guy on wins, why does this guy, every single time he takes the ball, his team wins? Why is that? He puts up other good stats, too. Because he's a winner. He is a winner. I mean, he's a winner. He won twenty. He won twenty games in nineteen ninety three, or he won twenty sixteen games in nineteen ninety four. He was sixteen and six. He had a one fifty six ERA. <laughs> he won game. 
Greg Maddox went out and won games. Why? Because he's a winner. Why do these guys? Why do these guys win 300 games and these other guys don't? Because you want them to go. Oh, they pitched five really good innings and they're now out of the game. Is that what Tom Glavin did? Did Tom Glavin come out five and two thirds and hope that the bullpen rescued him? No. That's where today's analytics lie. They lie to you. Who was the other pitcher they had? Was it Steve Avery? Was he the other one? It was them three. It was them three. Then Steve Avery was supposed to be the other guy. Steve Avery was at the early part of the run. And then it was Millwood. Uh, uh, Don't forget the great Charlie Liebrandt was also in there too. (laughs) Old school lefty. Oh, in in 1991 at 21, Steve Avery won 18 games. Uh, Then he won 18 games at age 23. And then he never. Well, he won 10 games at age 28 with the. Uh, well, Boston. he got hurt. Didn't he hurt his shoulder or something like that? Uh, in 2001 and 2002, he didn't pitch in the major leagues. And then he came back in 2003 and pitched with Detroit. And then he was done. Um, he won 96 games in his career, though, in ele- over so 11 when, years. When Greg, when Greg Maddox or Tom Glavin took the mound, what are you thinking on that day as a position player? You're going to win? We're going to win. It's win day. I mean, Smoltz was no slouch on the mound either. I mean, it's win day. Those guys were in the playoffs 14 straight years. 14. Why? Because those guys went out every night and they were winning. But you're going to sit here and tell me that wins don't matter. I I still, that that floors me. Well, what if, like, you know, um, DeGrom goes six innings and he doesn't factor in, like, really? The way the, the way we evaluate pitchers now is completely different. You don't want Greg Maddox? Yeah, back. I mean, back then. But if, if Maddox is back then, that that's not that long ago. You're acting like that was like in the 1800s. Greg Maddox hasn't been out of the game that long. I mean, 95 was a long time ago. <laughs> so you wouldn't want Greg Maddox today? Of course. Well, I mean, you, I mean, you'd be. Sophomore to not want him, but of course, I mean, but of course, you don't you, want a guy that goes out and wins every single time he goes out and pitches. I mean, yes, I would, but again, like the year where he won 16 games, everyone's going to go, Well, he should have won more games than that. He had a 156 ERA. I'll take that ERA any day of the week. I don't care how many wins he has. He's l- allowing less than two runs a game. That's my point. If you allow less than two runs a game, and you only have 15 wins. That again, that's not your fault. If you're only allowing two runs, your team's scoring one. How is that your fault? How is it that he wins 350 games? Well, he pitches really well, oh. and his team scores a lot of runs too. That helps too. Oh yeah, because those vaunted Braves offenses. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Chipper Jones is a good player. He's not. Well, he actually he's like the only guy. Chipper wasn't there for the entire career of Greg Maddox. Chipper was. What was his first? Neither was he there for Tom Glavin. Chipper was there in what his first they year. They went to World Series without Chipper Jones. Chipper was there. His first year was like ninety-two or ninety-three. So those guys were in the World Series in ninety-one. Greg Maddox is pitching since the eighties. Where where was Chipper? Chipper Jones was in grade school when Greg Maddox broke into the league. Maddox's first year with yeah, well, Maddox's first year with the Braves was in 90, 93. He was pitching with the Cubs all those years. I mean, he was good with the Cubs. But then again, do I think of oh, well, who was the vaunted Cubs offense then? Uh, yeah, who? Yeah, uh, well, Sammy Sosa was walking through those doors. Sammy Sosa wasn't there. 
There's something about wins, man. You're the winner or you're not. And you can throw all your analytics. Of, what did Scott Emerson say to you, by the way, on the field? The wins matter. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a pitching coach. Of course he's going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy that sits at his house looking at the computer tells the pitching coach, but you wouldn't say that, though. You had your opportunity, and you wouldn't say that. I told him. I told him. I think that I told him. There's other ways to evaluate pitchers. And he said, "Hey, if every single guy won 15 games, do you think we'd be in first place?" Yeah. What was your answer? Well, yeah, but there's again, there's still other factors that go into that. <laughs> Maybe you know, Sarah. Sarah's research. Sarah's good with numbers like me. She can. She'd be good to ask about this. And she's going to join right now. And there she is. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, we're just sitting here. We just had Tom Glavin on, the great Hall of Famer. Oh, my won 305 games, but yet Cody thinks wins don't matter for starting pitchers. Tom Glavin doesn't agree with that. Yes. Players, they absolutely matter to players. I don't think they're the best metric for us to evaluate pitchers, but Tom Glavin was a great Hall of Fame pitcher, whether there's 305 there or not. So just another number you can point to with him. Absolutely. Let me ask this question. Would you rather be Greg Maddox? Uh, by the way, Cody, how many wins did Greg Maddox have? Uh, 355. So would I rather have 355 wins or would I rather have good metrics? Now, obviously, if you win 355 games, you're going to have good metrics. I understand that. <laughs> but would I rather not have wins and have these metrics or would I, would I really have 300 and 55 wins and go into the Hall of Fame. What would you rather have, Sarah? You would rather have both. You would rather have a great pitcher. I mean, the whole point is that most of the, every single pitcher with 300 plus wins had great metrics, has so many things we can point to. I don't have any issue with talking about a guy getting to 300 wins, 400 wins, you know, wherever we're getting all the way up to Cy Young. I think that the issues that people sometimes raise with wins are much more in like specific instance bases. Like when Jacob deGrom goes out, gives up a solo home run in the first inning, and then his nail strikes out 13 guys and loses that game one nothing because the Mets couldn't score. Something like that, that individual win or la or loss or lack thereof, whatever you want to say, those are the moments where I kind of bristle at wins and losses. But I have no, I mean, I think we've gone so far with so many of these stats and so many of these narratives with stats that now wins are like a bad word. I don't think they're a bad word. I just think there's usually something better to evaluate a pitcher with, but Absolutely. You introduced, mentioned Tom Glavin telling me that somehow I'm supposed to follow up a Hall of Famer, which is totally not fair, by the way. <laughs> and you said they're under five wins. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's Tom Glavin. He was amazing. So I'm totally fine with defining him or anyone else that way. Have you ever read the book, The Outlier? I have not. Okay. That to me is Jacob deGrom. And okay. You did it, Sarah. And that's what Cody does. Everybody brings up Jacob DeGrom. Show me the next guy. We always hear about these numbers, and it always comes back to one guy, Jacob DeGrom, which would then be what you would call the outlier. Absolutely. People people tend to pull at instance-based, like anecdotal evidence, right, to dispel something, especially when they feel strongly about it. 
I think the other conversation with wins is that the other thing Tom Glavin did a lot, and I don't have his baseball reference page up, but I know he had a lot more complete games and shutouts than anyone in the current game. I mean, I think there's also an argument against the concepts of wins and losses with the way we see pitching staffs deployed these days. And it has come up in the postseason as well. I mean, a guy can go out there and give you four outstanding innings for no hit innings and set you up really well. If you're the Tampa Bay Rays and you have the next guy ready to go, and this is your plan, that guy won't ever get a win because he only went four innings, but maybe the definition should change so that a guy who comes out and does something like that could get that win. So that's the other thing is I think that it's not necessarily inclusive enough of the way pitching goes these days, but maybe pitching should not be going that, you know, there's a million ways to take that conversation too. You know, we, we, we've talked about here on the program that every good movie, every good book has a villain and the villain is the Houston Astros. And it's kind of like, it is what it is. We can't stand them. I, I, I cringe, but you know what? They're like the perfect villain now. And Carlos Correa is the leader and, I have to say a lot of respect and they're, they're coming into this thing feeling pretty confident. And if they, you know, you go to the ALCS five straight years and if you win the world series again, and you've been at three of the last five, I hate to say it. This is one of the good runs we've ever seen. This is one of the best runs we've ever seen, but I like the way you mentioned the villain and the way you say that you kind of need it, right? Yeah. I, I saw a lot of conversation after Correa hit the home run where he tapped his watch in the ALCS, which, by the way, I love the celebration. That home run went like 380 feet. If I'm doing that celebration, I'm doing that on a 450-foot bomb. I'm just saying. But I'm not Carlos Correa. I can't do any of that. But I saw a lot of people talking. You know, I follow a lot of people on Twitter who are part of the New York media space, especially. And there's a lot of conversation who's going to be playing shortstop for the Yankees next year. And it seems to be, you know, pretty much decided, at least by those who are analyzing it, that it'll be Seeger or Correa. And the question with Correa is whether Yankees fans could root for him, right? And I saw a really interesting discussion. I want to say it was James Wagner of the New York Times and maybe a couple of others talking about how he's the perfect kind of villain because he backs it up and he smiles with it. He has fun with it. He's not the type of villain where you just, if you're a fan, you can't stand him. You just don't want to see it happen. It's almost like when he finally comes through and he does the thing, you're almost like, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen. I, I think that there's something really cool to that. And I think he's just such a magnetic player to watch and taking all of the history, everything out of it. And I know a lot of people have trouble doing that, but he's always been hyped as a great player. And I really think he backs it up and he's been so great in October. So I just... I kind of like that. I mean, I think that having a team that maybe some people have some specific feelings about, it adds even more, you know, energy to the World Series. And I don't think this World Series is lacking for it. I think there's so many exciting storylines. But it is interesting that people maybe hate watching, but like maybe that's a good thing. If that if they're American League fans, if they're your A's fans, I'm sure, and a lot of others may be feeling that way about the Astros, but that also makes you interested and intrigued. Well, you know, listening to you right there, it, it, it an interesting question because both have had health problems. If you look at their ages, 
You look at what they've both done in the World Series. You look at what they've done in the postseason. I'm going to make you general manager of Team X. I'm not going to say the Yankees, but you're. would you rather have Seager or Correa? Who would you rather have? So I think it's really interesting because I think that Seager is probably ultimately a third baseman. And I think that he's been fine defensively, but he just kind of has the body and everything that you sort of see him sliding over, which isn't to say third baseman. Exactly. I I think that he's not necessarily a guy who, if I am GMX or front office X, I'm necessarily signing him to a 10-year contract or whatever it is, expecting him to be at that position for that long haul. Carlos Correa is an incredibly gifted shortstop. Like, taking the offense out of it, taking the injury problems, as you mentioned, they've both had kind of different but sort of equal amounts of time missed in terms of injury history. I think that it really comes down to whether you want the elite defensive shortstop, which, you know, out above, he doesn't necessarily have the defensive run saved, out above average, whatever, but that arm is in, it's his arm and Tatis's arm at shortstop. And obviously Tatis is also at his injury issues and ended up in the outfield for part of this year and whatever else. But that's kind of what I see it coming down to. But I also think that Corey Seager has the potential to turn into kind of what his brother has been in Seattle in terms of just an offensive stalwart at third base, kind of, you know, your slightly more gifted defensive player who you don't need to stick at first base. Of course, that makes no sense to A's fans because you have an amazing defensive first baseman, Matt Olson. But, you know, someone who is athletic enough, you don't have to put him at first, but you don't necessarily want him at short. You don't necessarily want him there. Put him at third base and have him crush home runs. So, I mean, if I'm taking one of those guys for the long haul, I think I would want Seager's bat, but I would want Correa's defensive ability at short. Now, I have no real numbers to back this up. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, if the Astros do win the World Series, will this be the worst starting staff? Because I know their starters were terrible in the ALCS. Whether you're looking at whether they're bullpen in or yet. I mean, it's terrible, but their bullpen was good. That was like the difference. Like the Red Sox, their their starters are good, bullpen terrible. Astros, starters terrible, bullpen good. But literally, will this be the worst, like, and I know there's bullpenning going on, but will this be like the worst starting staff in the history of the game ever to win the World Series? Well, I guess it comes down to how we're defining it. Because Fran Valdez and Luis Garcia were incredible in those final two games. And I think that if they look the way they did in those final two games of the LCS, that the Astros might be able to sweep this series. But Ooh. if those two guys are doing that, or if it goes seven and they're each getting two starts or someone's coming back for a third, then... I don't know that I call that the worst starting staff anymore because I think that those guys have emerged as really talented. Now, if you're talking about sort of least experience and least proven, I, I do think I agree with that. I mean, I'm staring at a list of recent World Series winners just kind of off the top of my head. I mean, the Nationals won because of three outstanding starters, right? And those they, guys pitched all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the Red Sox had good guys. I mean, the Astros last time around, the Cubs. I mean, I, I 
I mean, maybe you go back to kind of the 2015 Royals. They did have Jordano Ventura, but they weren't necessarily in the exact same boat. They got Johnny Cueto, and he was not good for them in the regular season, but he was really good in the postseason. But it's a great point, and I'm going to research this uh, more strongly. We're not talking are you getting, live are here. Are getting Sarah Langs to research something? Always, always. I'm always interested. I love it. No, but I think that's a really good point. I mean, you know, the team that came in with, you know, the least sort of experience among their starters was the Tampa Bay Rays, and they ended up getting bounced in the ALDS, but they set a record for their first three starters in a postseason series, having the fewest combined like career starts and everything else. They were using two rookies and um, another guy, Drew Rasmussen, who's just in his second year. But, you know, the Braves last year might have been another good comparison there. They didn't end up winning the World Series, and Max Reed was a bit more established, but Ian Anderson was a rookie, and they had, you know, uh, Kyle Wright and a couple other rookies kind of running out there. But I, I do think that there could be something also to just the turnaround. I mean, Valdez and Garcia both did not look good, even earlier in that series, let alone earlier in the postseason. And I'm not sure that many teams have changed their pitching, just how good their pitching was over the course of a postseason. I mean, we've seen guys go out and have a bad start and then pitch well. But uh, to your point, it was kind of everybody other than Lance McCullers Jr. And now he's out. Well, and, and you know, you, you, you think about a team like the Braves, you kind of take the names off the back of the jersey and you just go, these guys are hot. These guys are playing well. I mean, you do, do I think Houston's a better team? Yes, but the better team doesn't always win. It's the hottest team. I'd be afraid of the Braves right now. The Braves are playing great. They have nothing to lose also. I mean, you know, I, there's really no pressure because no one expected them to be here. I mean, they set a record for the latest in the season that a team has gotten above 500 and then made it to the World Series. They didn't get to above 500 until 111 games into their season wow. on August 6th. That's and, the record in the history of the game? Yeah. Wow. Obviously throwing last year out because yeah. nobody, almost nobody was above 500 on August 6th. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that all of the pressure is off. And it's funny because this is a team that has really been characterized by so much postseason pressure. I mean, after 98, 95, all of those years, right, they win the one World Series. They have all of these uh, postseason appearances, all of these uh, division titles, and they're not winning. And then they hadn't won a playoff series in forever. Last year, they won their first playoff series since the early 2000s, and they'd been in it plenty since then. So I just think they've gotten past all of those sort of bugaboos of the past, and now it's like we won 88 games. We think we're really good, and we're going to show everybody. So I would certainly be afraid of them, but you know what? Dusty Baker is not the type of manager to underestimate a team like that. Well, you know, the thing that I, I look at Atlanta compared to last year, and, you know, we talked to Tom Glavin about it, was, you know, last year you win in Houston and then you got to go to Arlington. Now you're playing games at home. And they got rid of the Dodgers by beating them at home, to having the home crowd. There's no more cardboard cutouts. There's not random fans from Texas. Just just talk about how this is something that is big for them, that they're playing at home in front of their own fans. 
It's huge. I mean, I think that a lot of the players kind of credit it after they won the NLCS to why the series didn't just follow the same, you know, rubric that it did last year. Obviously, through the first five games, we had seen the exact same team win each one. And of course, the Dodgers last year came back after trailing 2-0 and 3-1. And I think a lot of Braves players were talking about the fact that that was different. It was in such a sterile and atypical environment. And of course, we understand why it was happening. There's no yeah. uh, you know, disrespect or anything to that. It was amazing. We got a season and a postseason last year. But now they're playing in front of all these fans wearing their pearls in the stands, cheering for Jock Peterson. I mean, how do you not win for those fans? And of course, one of these teams is going to lose. One of these teams is going to win. But I really think we've seen the power of those intangibles and just those moments. And it's been amazing just watching on TV, just with the sound on. I mean, hearing the cheering in the background, you heard it all year and you kind of got used to it at a point. Like opening day was amazing because we hadn't seen every team with fans and now they all have fans. And then we got to the point where every team was at full capacity. That was really exciting. But now it's postseason fans and there's rally towels and it's just amazing to see. And I, I really do think it's of influencing it. And, you know, I come back to, we mentioned 2019 for a second. The 2019 World Series was the first World Series in history and the only World Series in history where the home team did not win a single game, right? Every single game was won by the road team. And seeing the effect of home fans now, I still don't know how that was possible. And I feel like we will never see that again because every generation of players is going to have that moment of remembering 2020, everything we went through and not allowing themselves to get, you know, look past the fact and that effect of the fans in the stands. When's the last time you wore pearls? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, I probably had like those little like toy pearl necklaces, like all those fans are wearing in the stands. Like, I don't know. I was four years old, five years old, probably something like that. I'm sure they're still in my bedroom at my parents' place somewhere, you know, just like hanging out. But my favorite thing. So there's a really good story uh, in sports illustrated by Stephanie Epstein about um, she spoke with the jeweler who is like Jock Peterson's jeweler who made the necklace. And he mentioned how each individual pearl is knotted in between. So this is going to resonate with like 5% of the people listening and certainly not with either of the two of you who I'm looking at. But (laughs) all of us who have had like a little toy bracelet with beads on it or a little toy necklace, anything like that, know that when it snaps, everything goes everywhere. I've had so many little bracelets in my life like snap and there's beads everywhere. You're stepping on them and it hurts. And the jeweler specifically mentioned that he knotted them in between so that if something did happen, because obviously most pearl necklaces are not worn on a baseball field where something can hit you and there's a lot of motion and everything going on. So he specifically did that so that if something did happen, only one would fall off. So if it, if it breaks, you're not having a string of pearls like going all over the field, which would be, I mean, imagine, imagine like the umpires and everyone helping <laughs> looking for that. I just can't even imagine. Everybody but, time out. We got to pick up the pearls. <laughs> well, that happened. Do you remember? So the most like iconic moment of the Mets season was when they had that uh, suspended game resumption. It was right after the whole thumbs down thing with Lindor and Baez and Javi Baez score the winning run, scoring from, I want to say, first on a fly ball to Jorge Alfaro, who's a catcher who was playing left field for the Marlins. And he races around. 
And in the celebration, he lost a chain. And this became a storyline after where Sandy Alderson and like the entire Mets front office and the coaching staff were looking around home plate trying to find this chain. I don't think they ever found it. And that was just a chain. Imagine individual little pearls. I, I just can't even. Yeah. You know, I, I, early in my career, Dusty Baker battled and beat prostate cancer. And I remember I was a young broadcaster and I was there for the press conference. And I'll never forget this line that tomorrow is promised to nobody. And I'll never forget that. And I've said it for years. And we recently had Dusty Baker on this show with Ray Fossey, God rest his soul. And we, we had Dusty on for about a half hour and I've known Dusty for a long time. Um, this World Series, whether he wins or not, where, where where do you see Dusty Baker? Are you do you view him as a Hall of Famer? You look at his career, you look at him as a manager, all the different teams, all the winning. How do you view Dusty Baker? He's a Hall of Famer, no question in my eyes. You know, I was on uh, MLB Network last week on Thursday, so before the Astros had even, I think it was before the Astros had clinched, or maybe it was right after. I'm my sense of time is totally off, but I was asked the question of whether whether he is a Hall of Famer, whether um, the way the series goes would matter, um, and they were still alive in the ALCS at that point. And I said absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that there is room for consideration in the Hall of Fame for sort of a maybe a different category. We did this as a segment once, actually, about a year ago. Kind of the baseball life. Maybe someone who was never a Hall of Fame player and maybe wasn't a Hall of Fame manager, though I think he is. Um, but the tenure of time spent in the game and just the sheer staying power and everything else that that alone makes you a Hall of Famer. And I think that's Dusty Baker in a nutshell. Now, I also think he's a Hall of Fame manager. Take the playing out of it. Take everything else out of it. I just think the bringing five teams to a division title, winning a pennant in two leagues. I mean, these are things that we do not see very many people do. No one else has done that division note that I mentioned. Only nine guys have won a pennant in both leagues. And you know, I think of the fact that I can think back to so many different players over the course of his career singing his praises. The fact that you have a Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman in 2021, the man is 72 years old, and the fact that they see how much of an impact he's had on them, I think that's a Hall of Famer. I think put all numbers aside and everything else, when you're 72 years old, and you can have an impact on your young players who are 25, 26, 27, and have been through a lot in the last few years, whether you agree with it, whether you think that they deserve to feel like they've been through a lot or not. They have obviously been through a lot intangibly, and he is there to steady them. I, I just think that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, the, 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 the NFL Network has a great series they call Football Life. Yep. And I've always thought about that because, I, I, you know, I think of someone like Joe Torrey. Yes. Joe Torrey was a terrific player, catcher, batting champion. Then what he did as a manager, I, I, I think we, we in our game need to celebrate people who have these unbelievable, you know, I mean, Dusty Baker, I didn't even realize this. And I, I can't remember where I heard this. Do you realize he started more games in left field than any Dodger in history? He started the most games in left field of any Dodger. And then... 
I mean, the guys on the on-deck circle is Hank Aaron's hitting a home run, and then you think of everything he's done as a coach, what he's done as a manager. I mean, you talk about a baseball life. It's like, it's incredible. It's amazing. And you know what I always come back to is when he was hired in December 1992 to be the Giants manager, he was the youngest manager in baseball. He was 43. You know, we're talking today about Ollie Marmel getting hired for the Cardinals, and he's 35, so that's younger, but... Dusty Baker, who is here as the second oldest manager to make it to the World Series, was the youngest manager in baseball when he was hired, and he had almost no managerial experience. He'd been a coach with the Giants for five years, and the inaugural year of the Arizona Fall League was 1992, and he had managed a team there. So he had managed a team for a month of his career. And before that, he had just been a coach with the team. And when he first retired from baseball, He actually went and was an investment broker for a year. And then he went to the Giants and coached with them for five years. So I just think that even just the beginnings of his story, I've pulled up a million times. You know, I went on a deep dive just reading about, I love going back and reading newspaper stories from when something happened. I think seeing the quotes in the moment, everything we see now, it's amazing to look back at those and sort of have that perspective on history. And when the Astros almost made it to the World Series last year, I went back and I found the original story in the New York Times uh, by Murray Chass about the Dusty Baker being hired. And he had this quote of, I didn't think it would happen this soon. Although I had a plan that I wanted to be a manager somewhere in five years. I'm excited. I'm psyched. I mean, he would say, I'm excited. I'm psyched right now. It's just like so uniquely dusty. And I, I just loved reading that. And so much of my life and my understanding of him has been as him being one of these older managers. I mean, even when he was with the Giants and you go back to the Cubs and the Reds and everything, he was he was certainly older at that point. So to just get into those moments of seeing a young kind of bushy-tailed, bright-eyed Dusty Baker excited to make his mark on the managerial world. It's just amazing that he's finally back in the World Series now. All right, so you went to one of those fancy colleges, not like Cody. Cody went to some college no one's ever even heard of. Uh, Did you go to, like, the University of Chicago or something like that? I did. Okay. My kids' college tuition. You know, I've told you I have twins, right? Yes. So my twins are going to turn 16 in November. Oh, boy. We're looking at colleges. We're going actually going down to UCLA uh, Thanksgiving to look at UCLA. We, we've looked at all the UC schools. I'm betting their college tuition on this World Series. It's all on you, Sarah. Sarah, oh who am gosh. I betting on? My kid's college is going to be paid for oh, no. based off who. It's all your decision. <laughs> Way too much pressure. Just to start with. That is a lot of pressure. I I think I have to go with the Astros. I mean, I completely agree that the Braves are hot and I totally see it, but I don't know. They're the best team. And I think by the time you get to this point, I think the best team wins. But I I had to I had to make a pick earlier. I went Astros and six. But I know you don't want to bet that tuition on the Astros because I know how you feel about the Astros. Threw up in my mouth. I just it's but you know what though you got to give credit I mean these guys are supremely talented you're talking about being in the ALCS five straight years three out of five world series Uh, they by the way you you know the thing that kind of rubbed me wrong was the Red Sox fans going after the Astros and I'm like uh 
folks, you're the original cheaters. Remember the Apple Watches? You're the originals. For you to be calling them cheaters, it's like hypocrisy like you wouldn't even believe. I was tweeting during game six of the ALCS about how Luis Garcia was throwing really hard. He threw, he threw like the five fastest pitches of his career. He was only up about, um, you know, 1.5-ish miles per hour on average. But, you know, he doesn't throw super hard, and he basically hit like – his prior high was 97.1. He hit 97.2, 97.3, just about there. He was throwing harder. He talks about a mechanical change. This is a guy who's dealt with a lot of knee injuries and seemed to finally find a good uh, way to, you know, plant his foot and not hurt himself. And people were in my mentions talking about sticky stuff. Sticky stuff doesn't make the ball go faster. It doesn't affect velocity. And I'm just sitting here like, I know how you feel about the Astros. I know how a lot of people feel about the Astros. But just because someone is standing there in Astros uniform doing something they've never done before doesn't mean that anything nefarious is going on. This is a young guy who's still figuring it out and finally got healthy. And they talked at length about that mechanical change. And I just thought it was so funny. So uh, you were right that there were a lot of accusations going their way uh, in a handful of ways. I saw them just in... The yeah. majority of those guys that are on the roster were not there when they were banging trash cans. So it's like. I and mean, I do think that's an important, I mean, I think just for the national appeal of this world series and of this team, I was really heartened to see that Fran Bravaldez and Luis Garcia and Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker were some of the biggest contributors for this team in the ALCS, because I understand there are people out there who are always going to feel a specific type of way about Correa and Altuve and Alex Bregman. I, I understand that. I think they're great players. I am objective. I That's what I look at, what's on the baseball reference page. But I understand that people feel that way. But I thought it was really great to see Jordan Alvarez have an amazing series and see those two young pitchers carry them. I just think that regardless of how you feel about those others, you can get on board with those guys. And I also think Dusty Baker does a lot for that. I mean, there are a lot of people out there I know who are sitting there thinking, mm, I don't want the Astros to win, but I really want Dusty to win. And, you know, you figure out the scales and where you fall with that. But I do think it's good that the team has gotten to this point where there are all those other contributors. And those were some of the most important guys, especially in those last few games there. All right, let's end on this. I always like to take the temperature of your mother. <laughs> When we're talking about the pandemic, is she feeling better? Yes, absolutely. She uh, She's definitely feeling better. You know, as she continues to mention how important it is for everyone to continue to get vaccinated. You know, I was very heartened to see that when Jorge Soler came back from the COVID IL for the Braves, he said, you know, I wasn't vaccinated. I plan to get vaccinated as soon as I can. And, you know, I will come out here and say, I don't, I'm not a PSA. I'm not anything, but certainly hope that everyone can continue to do so. And, you know, I was talking to her about it the other day and she was saying there's a variant that's starting to circulate a little bit in Europe right now. And the question's going to be in a few weeks, whether it circulates as freely as it, as it did there here or not. And we'll kind of see that, but we are overall, I think more vaccinated than they are. So hopefully it won't. Um, and she would also say, get your flu shot. So I will say that too. If I'm just giving all of my mother's advice, get your flu shot also. Very important. Didn't even think about that. <laughs> right? Like, 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 you don't even think it. 
I mean, crazy. Yes, I should get it. My family should like, like we haven't even thought about the flu. Yeah. You know, I mean, I started getting the emails from CVS, like I want to say a month or two ago. And I feel like normally I'm used to getting it around early November. It's kind of a thing for me where like the world series ends and then I go get it. And I didn't want to get it too soon. So I'm already planning to go do that sometime in early November. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of people's eyes and uh, focus is on COVID and all this other stuff. So that's why she's reminding to also go get your flu shot. So my kid's college is going to be on the Houston Astros and it's on you. I, I will have to bear this. I will be extra stressed out during these games, but you know what? I'll take the elevated heart rate. I appreciate it. Oh, you are the best. We love having you on the program. You're the best follow on Twitter and you mean so much to us. Thank you. And we'll talk. So we'll talk during the actual world series. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate yeah. it. Take care. The great Sarah Langs right here on A's cast live. Well, the Townsend Twins College is now on the Astros. Uh, real quick, you, you, you want to talk ill about my college? We're number four in the country for Division Two football. So I don't see your Spartans oh, ranked anywhere. Oh, oh yeah. never heard of you. Number four and double in Division you Two. You and, and Lou Trevino. I didn't even know where he went. Slippery Rock. They're not even ranked. But by the way, Slippery Rock. I actually found out if uh, not even a college. After hanging out with one of our grounds crew members the other night, he told me that the dirt they get is actually from Slippery Rock, and I guess him and Lou would talk about it because you know Lou is a big uh, handyman and outdoorsman, and he would tell you. Wait, wait, the dirt we have at the Coliseum is yeah, from like Slippery the dirt, Rock, the, Pennsylvania. The dirt or something they get for the field is comes from Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, where the college is, and I'm like. what? That is good dirt knowledge, by the way. I'm like, oh, thanks for Sean. Like, thanks to the Sean, our one of our grounds grounds crew members. Like, thanks for letting me know that. Like, I didn't really need to know that. Now I can like, I must just go talk to Lou about this when I see him. But uh, another name emerged for the Mets job before we go out of here, and then he said no. Giants general manager Scott Harris apparently talked to the Mets and said, "Nah, I'm, I'm not interested." I actually like what you brought up on Friday, Brian Sabian. Yeah, that was uh, someone from, like, the New York Post. Baby Sabes is an East Coast guy. I remember before he was with the Giants, he was a he was a New York Yankee. Yeah, and I think it was, a, like, a, I don't know if it was an opinion piece, but it was, someone, it was from someone that covers the the Mets for the Post that said that the, the Mets should go after him. Uh, I mean, I, I think he's a good candidate. I, I honestly think that they should – I mean, people are going to say, no, why would you want to back? But they should – Call Jeffrey Luno too. I mean, I don't. If if AJ Hinch and, and Alex Cora are back in the in the sport, why 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 can't he come back? I know his is a lot worse because he denied it, denied, denied, and he did the interview, and it just it didn't look good. But like, still, like if you're all about giving second chances to Alex Cora and AJ Hinch, why not give him a call? But Sabian would be a good choice. What I mean, you need to do is you come out and you say, "I'm sorry." I apologize. Yeah, we'll see. And then everybody goes, oh, that's all you need to do. Come out and say, I'm sorry. I did it. I'm sorry. And it's over. People who deny, it's like, what are you doing? You take you, you take the one-time hit. It's business. You take the one-time hit, you say you're sorry, and then you move on. And then everybody will forgive you. 
Is anybody even talking about Alex Cora or AJ Hinch being cheaters anymore? Uh, no, no, not anymore. Because they came out and they said, sorry, it's a one time. Literally, it's it's like two minutes of your life. You go on, you do a TV interview. It's like three questions. It's like two to five minutes of your life. You say sorry, and boom, it's over forever. Like, how do you not get that? Like, how do you not get that? I just, it just, it's mind-blowing to me, the people who advise these guys. Like, why wouldn't you say, just go in front of a camera, say you're sorry, it'll be over like that, and then you never have to deal with it again. You think you think anybody in Detroit's asking AJ Hinch about cheating in Houston? No, no. This not guy's at all. getting manager of the year votes. Think about that. AJ Hinch went on television, said sorry, now has a job, and he's gonna get manager of the year votes. Oh, just because well, he said he was sorry. And Detroit was a lot better this year, too. He did do a nice job. <laughs> but, right? Yeah, I mean. All you had to do was do what? How many interviews did, did A.J. Hinch do? Uh, before he got the job in Detroit? I think he did, just did that one with. Did he, know, he did one. With Verducci, I think. And it was less than five minutes. He did one interview, less than five minutes, and he's now going to get manager of the year votes. Seriously, people, it's not that hard. Uh, Our business, the media business, it's not that hard to figure out. Uh, two things, real quick. Do you want to? Do you want to? The the Braves are speaking right now for media day for the World Series. Do you want a Jock Peterson quote? Jock Peterson, who was who was played in three World Series, was asked what it take, what he's learned, uh, what it take, you know, what what he's learned to, to win in these games. And his quote: "Score more runs than the other team." <laughs> I mean, that's, that's ba- a pretty. Hey, 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 let's be honest. If you score more runs than the other team, you got a good chance to win. I mean, it's big if I mean it's big, if true. And once See, that, you may have some analytic that will that will get rid of that. But I just to me, you score more runs. I think I, I think you got a good shot. I saw this stat earlier, and I'm, I've been meaning to bring it up. This is the uh, this is the first ever World Series to feature the two teams that lost in the League Championship Series the previous year. Wow. We have never had two teams go back-to-back losing in the league championship, which would be the ALCS and and the National League League Championship Series, but then make the World Series the next year. Yeah, I believe it was Tyler Kepner who had the stat. He said, fun fact, and I saw this, the tweet from it, and I was like, interesting. I, I didn't go back and look to see who some of the other teams that lost in the last you know 20 years were, but... I'll take his word at it. He's a pretty well-known baseball writer. Why would he put out yeah. that bad information? <laughs> We're not going to research that. Let him do that. But that is interesting because it, it you, you know what, Cody? It really shows how hard it is to, to make the championship. You know, you know, whether we're talking Stanley cup, NBA finals, super bowl, world series, it's tough to go back to back. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, what the Buffalo Bills did, where they went to four straight Super Bowls. They lost all four, but to go to four straight is incredible. It's, like, hard. Like, the Yankees run in the late 90s, where they're every year they're going to the World Series, it's hard. The Braves winning 14 straight years, their division going to the playoffs, 
it's not easy to do, man. Hell, Wash taking the Rangers to the World Series back-to-back years is, is, is a feat yeah. in itself. I mean, to think that the A's went to three straight World Series and won three straight. Like, you just don't do that. And then they went to three straight 15 years later. Yeah. I mean, you got to have supreme talent. you got to have a lot of... A lot of uh, health goes your way. I mean, that, you know, when you think of like the Warriors run before Clay Thompson got hurt and Kevin Durant got hurt, that pretty much, you know, after after Steph dealt with those the, the ankle issues, the Warriors for the most part were during their championship run. They're really healthy. They didn't have major. They didn't have major injuries. Yeah, the only thing that- they. The only, sorry, the only thing they dealt with is uh, Draymond Green kicking LeBron in the uh, nether region in the, in the NBA Finals. <laughs> but that was one thing to talk about when you think about the Warriors' run is that they were healthy. And that plays into championship runs, is having your best players available and having them being healthy and being able to be successful. Yeah, winning championships, man, that's like like, like – was it today or Friday when I mentioned, I think it was today, where I mentioned I was at Costco and they're like, I haven't played anybody. I'm like, mm, it's hard to win on the road, man. It's really hard. I mean, if you're the Niners, it's tough to win at home. But uh, no offense. Oh, it's but, Kyle Shanahan came out today, five, about half an hour ago, and said, Jimmy Garoppolo is still our quarterback. Then why did you trade up for this guy? Uh. Great question. He also said that he's not going to play any rookies until the 49ers are out of the playoff picture. So why did you trade up? You traded up for this guy, right? Uh, you, well, not only did you trade up, you gave up three first-round picks for him? You traded up for him and you're not going to play him? It, I way, don't know. I mean, I, I remember this guy out of Tennessee. They picked number one. God, what was his name? He ended up being pretty good. It's called Peyton Manning. Do you think you're going to keep Peyton Manning on the bench? Peyton Manning in his first year. Look it up. uh, I want to say Peyton Manning threw like 28 interceptions his first year. I don't have to look it up. He threw 26 touchdowns and 28 interceptions. Okay, so it was 20. You're not going to play Peyton Manning? Um, So there there is a guy playing right now in the NFL. No, it's not Zach Wilson, not Robert Sala, the former defensive coordinator's quarterback who now is hurt. E- the Eagles just traded Joe Flacco to the Jets, so Joe Flacco will probably be the Jets quarterback now. Joe Flacco just got traded to the Jets? Yeah, so because Zach Wilson's oh. Zach Wilson's gonna is now hurt. He was the second pick in the draft. Uh, the number one pick in the draft was Trevor Lawrence. He won his first game last week. Think about it this way. The Jags are now one win away from being just as good as the 49ers, and they're horrendous. Um, Mac Jones, everyone didn't want Mac Jones. They said he stunk, and Bill Belichick said, mm, okay, we'll take him at 15 He's the best quarterback in the draft class right now. They have three wins now. I know they beat the Jets and the Texans, but still, Mac Jones looks really good, and he's played every game so far this year. There's no sitting behind somebody else. He's actually playing. Do you remember who number 16 was for the 49ers? Uh, some Montana guy. He, he's, from, uh, he's from Pennsylvania. Joseph Montana. You put Joseph Montana on your team, guess who I'm starting every Sunday? Montana. Uh, that's Joe Montana. He had a nice little career. I just, you want me to win? You want to win? I'm, I'm, I'm playing that guy. Because I watched that guy's entire career. 
I remember him playing at Notre Dame. I'm playing number 16. I don't care how old he is. I don't care if he's 21 or he's 41. I'm playing number 16. That's Joseph Montana. I, like, I, seriously. I, I Tom, think how old is Tom Brady? 40, 44. You're not playing like, – like, to win, you got to have the best players. And your best players got to play. And if you're not playing your best players – Good luck. And what? And I don't what, care how old they. If Patrick Mahomes, I don't care how old Patrick Mahomes is. I'm playing Patrick Mahomes. Actually, he hasn't been great lately, but I'm still playing him. Yeah, he's. I'm well, riding him. I'm riding anybody. Your best players yeah. have to play. I mean, Mahomes is pretty bad in the last few weeks. He got hurt yesterday too. But hey, Matt Olson. By the way, he's in my lineup every day. You're not gonna play Matt Olson. The the quarterback thing is interesting because I think every team is trying to copy what the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers and not every team has Brett Favre as their starting quarterback. Oh, you, number 4, you don't want that guy? So you so you can't like How many MVPs did Brett Favre win like 3 or 4? Yeah, How many he, MVPs did he win? He's a Hall of Famer. He's won a Super Bowl too. Yeah. You 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 teams are trying to copy what the Packers did 15 years ago with Aaron Rodgers and it worked out great. Terrific. Fantastic. And it might work out for the Packers again with Jordan Love backing up Aaron Rodgers. But it didn't work out. It it did it, it, it. The team, what teams are trying to do like, I'm sorry, trailing thing. Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo isn't isn't Tom Brady. He's not Brett Favre. Like Garoppolo sat behind Tom Brady. He's if if this was supposed to be the way it worked, it didn't work. Why'd Bill Belichick trade him if it was supposed to be the uh, if he was supposed to be the heir apparent? And I know there was a whole disconnect there. But uh, the Patriots kept the right quarterback, I think, going forward. And then they drafted their quarterback of the future, and he's been playing every game so far this season. Hey, put it this way. Would you bet everything you got on Jimmy Garoppolo? Now what you know, what you have seen? No. 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 Oh, by the way, remember remember that argument, that tired argument that our old station wanted to crap on the Raiders? Uh, you want Derek Carr or you want Jimmy Garoppolo now? Where are all the Garoppolo fans now? You don't want D.C.? By the way, if the season ended today, who's getting MVP votes? Uh, Derek. Also, Jimmy, season not, not Jimmy G? Also, if the season ended today, guess who's winning the AFC West? That's right, the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Through all the turmoil, the greatness is right where it needs to be. Like I told you before, who would have thought that an offensive genius was holding back an, uh, an offense on that team? I kept I kept hearing an, uh, Gruden's the, the smartest guy in the room, like Kyle Shanahan. And oh, you like Olsen as the offensive coordinator now? By the way, great guy. He's a great guy. He's good. He has you know what he has really good. As uh, I'm going to channel my inner Jim Rome here, he has great lettuce. Oh, his hair is phenomenal. He's great. And hair. it always looks like that. It, I've never not seen him with he never wears a hat and his hair is immaculate. Yeah, his hair looks good. And I told him that before. I'm like, you got the best hair in the business. And, and he laughed. And it's what's funny too about the Raiders defense and I watched I like really like their defensive line with Max Crosby and Solomon Thomas and Ngakwe. And former Stanford Cardinal Solomon Thomas. Yeah, uh, 49er draft pick who did nothing for the 49ers, who has more sacks than Eric Armstead this year. Uh, I, I just don't get it. Like, 
like what, I, the 49ers drafting is just a whole nother a whole nother discussion but the Raiders look good that's all I have to say about the Raiders I mean their defense looks good under uh Gus Gus Bradley great coordinator not a good head coach which uh, I think a lot of people are saying about Kyle Shanahan fact all right that's going to do it for A's cast live we're back on Wednesday what do we got rolling it's going to be game two of the World Series we'll have game one to talk about tomorrow uh quickly who are you taking uh, I want you on record. Oh, I'm taking the Astros. I'm going Braves. Oh, well, of course. I knew we were going to go on opposite. That's the way we need to be. So it's, this isn't some stage thing where we're, p- we're picking. I'm Braves. I'm with my man, Walt, Walter Weiss. I'm with Ron Washington. I'm going Braves. Atlanta, the tomahawk chop. Let's go. You're going. We don't, hey, you're forgetting A's legends, Jesse Chavez and Stephen Vogt also. Back. Uh, I'm going Astros in five. I'll go Braves in six. I think five's a bit premature. I'm so, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna say five still. Braves in six. I've never rooted for the Atlanta Braves before, but let me tell you something. I can't tell you what I what what a fan I am of them now. If Let's gr- go Bravos. If the big three is not if the big three are not at games three or four in Atlanta. Uh, it's a huge miss on on uh, Major League Baseball's part if those guys aren't there at some point during the World Series in Atlanta. By by the way, how cool! I mean, talking to Tom Glavin's cool for like twenty minutes. Not not like just having him on for eight minutes. He was there for like twenty. We minutes. have him on for twenty minutes. It was close, pretty close. Yeah, he seemed comfortable. He didn't seem like he was like. I texted him. Rush. I texted him and I said thanks again and sorry if we kept you too long. And he goes anytime. I mean, he's Tom Glavin, for God's sake. He's one of the greatest players of all time. He's retired. I don't know about you, but there's only so many guys who have a plaque in that room at the Hall of Fame. There's only so many of them, and he's one of them. Well, the thing is, like, you get him talking about golf and him and Maddox, and they just go, I mean. And hockey. <laughs> well, and the great, I mean, he was he's technically one of the great L.A. Kings of all time that never happened. Uh, the line, of the, I'm sorry, the line of the day, though, was him about, well, you know, Gretzky's career could have changed forever. He, I would have played center. He would have moved to the wing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll replay the show. Enjoy A's Cast Live, and we'll see everybody on Wednesday as we'll be breaking down game one and getting you ready for game two of the World Series. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.